everyone, and welcome to the penultimate 32nd episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platym3. And this is Yangus the Legendary... Wait a minute, hold up. Now, it's likely that many Legendary Bandits committed holdups during their time, but I'm confused as to the context here. No, no, hold up as in stop. Go back a bit. What do you... Wait, what did you say about penultimate? You just said stop, and that's kind of the point of penultimate because i mean penultimate is the second to last episode before we stop stop what stop doing side quest what okay 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 side quest stop stop who said we're stopping what harebrained thing uh do you have going on or are you, what harebrained thing are you going on about platy i, I just don't understand <laughs> do you ever i mean Actually, isn't the point that we're not going on? We're out of ideas, man. Oh, hell no. As I as I say at the end of every episode, we have a list full of ideas, and we'd be happy to add some more. If you have any suggestions for a future SideQuest episode, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can reach out to platym 3 on Twitter or Discord or The Dragon's Den. You can also contact me on The Dragon's Den via a personal message or just The Dragon's Den Discord. Just oh, search for that. Angus Legendary Bandit. You know, just like did, that. Yeah, did you have to read the whole bit? I mean, I figured I'd save you time. You can just cut and paste that at the end of the episode during the editing. Oh, yeah, because editing always is a time saver. You know, see, this is why SideQuest is ending. Look, I still don't understand. We're not ending. Where'd you get the idea that we're ending the show? Flatty, you promised me a Dark Cloud episode. Oh, shit, we gotta do Dark Cloud. Okay, so next week's penultimate. But <laughs> we'll slip it in. We'll slip it in. Yeah, that's right. But Yangus, you said you wanted to go out with this memorable ending episode or two. <laughs> now, see, I'm looking at the notes here, and it says ending epipose. <laughs> Platy, can you tell us what an epipose is? It, it, it is called a typo that not even Google could mm-hmm. make any header tale of. It was like, fuck that. We're not even going to put a red line under it. That's so bad. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, um, let's see. Oh, you're back in character. Um, oh, geez, you idiot. I said I wanted to talk memorable endings in games, not be part of one. Oh, well, I mean, between typos and misreading that and, you know, pending start his, his own Slime Time spinoff show. I figured we were just done. What the what in the ever-loving Hyunkle is this? Big spoiler alert. Yeah, don't worry. I'll edit that, and I'll edit uh, my uh, typo out, too. No, he won't. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, I doubt it. Besides, you didn't yeah. post the first episode. Wait, yes, you did. Now you're making yeah. me say crappy things that didn't actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> if you read the line right, I did put, didn't you post the first didn't episode already? No, I, oh, my God. <laughs> total chaos. Wow, this is... This is really going sideways. So, uh, sounds like this is a total another bonkers side quest intro. I'm playing totally confused, and none of us have any freaking clue what we're doing tonight. This is like Whose Line It's Anywhere, where we don't really know what's going on and the points don't matter. <laughs> Neither does this intro, apparently. <laughs> Whew, I should just hit mute, but yeah, uh, Yangus, you, you, you tell everybody what we're doing here tonight. <laughs> All right. Um, if you please, 
Uh, so on this episode and the next episode of Slime Time SideQuest, we're going to be talking about the games that had uh, some of our most memorable endings in them. Uh, fair warning, we're going to be talking about the end of games. So really going to spoil the hell out of these things for you. We're not doing individual spoiler warnings. Just know this entire episode is pretty much going to be spoilers as soon as we actually get into the, you know, the meat of our discussion here. <laughs> when we we've actually talk sp- real stuff. We've already spoiled that the first episode of Tactfully Die has been posted. Yes. <laughs> yep. I don't Spoiler know alert. It's out there. Get through that. <laughs> I have no idea. Go cope somehow, I hope. Yeah. Besides, I got an editor's note here, too. You edit? What? Touche. Touche. But... Just a reminder here, I am going to put time markers for every single game that we're going to talk about in um, the episode description. So if you're someone that doesn't want to be spoiled for certain games, you can go to those. uh, You can click on the times. It depends on your podcast catcher. I know the ones that I use. If I actually click on the time, it'll take me straight to there. Um, You can look at the list and skip over games that we're talking about. Um, I even think, I don't know if tonight or Next time, we're going to have some cast members taking their headsets off during certain discussions so we don't spoil each other. So if you hear me calling out in the void like, Pendy, Pendy, time to come back now. Uh, Blue Star, Blue Star, where are you? Um, You can just forgive them. They didn't want to get spoiled about what happens at the end of Dragon Quest XI. That's a lie, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I think our (laughs) listeners might already know who our guests are for tonight. Uh, We're actually splitting this episode up into two parts. Uh, as we had a lot of people who wanted to be on this episode or on this topic in particular, you know, such a huge response. Um, so we actually decided to split things up into two parts. Uh, so for tonight's episode, though, we're happy to have uh, Blue Star and Pendy joining Platy and me. Hello. Hello. And, uh, well, at least by word count, that's the longest intro ever to a side quest, not counting all of our improvisation we did. <laughs> all our improv- and all of the last. So without further ado, let's get started. Ooh, five or six <laughs> minutes into it. Yeah, let's uh, let, let's get going. And Yangus, um, th- there was a request made for someone not to go first. So uh, I, I'm going to... I make that request to, uh... every time and you only listen about 50% <laughs> of the time, but thank you for listening. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I, I can, uh, I'm in a generous mood tonight. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the platy taketh and the platy giveth away, um, <laughs> and right now platy and Yangus are going to take. Well, actually, Yangus is going to do all the talking here, not me, because by golly, I didn't play this game. But Yangus, tell us all about Zelda's Majora's Mask. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, for the first game that I want to talk about, ending wise, I wanted to focus on Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Uh, just a quick background, it was released late into the Nintendo 64's uh, life cycle. Uh, it was one of two Zelda games released on the system, and it's actually a direct follow-up to Ocarina of Time. And um, it features the same Link from that game just now in his uh, childhood form. Or, sorry, excuse me, his uh, childhood self. Uh, he travels into this alternate world called Termina. Uh, he there he encounters um, the Skull Kid who possesses the titular Majora's Mask. And he has to then travel to the different corners of Termina in order to help uh, prevent the moon from crashing into the planet uh, in three days' time. Uh, You can then reverse time if you want to at the Ocarina. Once you obtain that back, you can slow down time. And as you complete different areas, you can go back. You'll keep certain items. So there's just a bit of context for the game there for you. 
Uh, the reason um, I, this ending stands out to me is because unlike a lot of other Zelda games, going for 100% in this entry actually rewards the player with a pretty great ending and a very powerful item. Uh, the way you achieve this ending is by completing all of the mask-related side quests or by uh, completing the bomber's notebook you receive at the start of the game in Clock Town. You can do either one as long as you have 20 masks by the end of the game or you've completed all the side quests within the bomber's notebook. You'll be good. Uh, you will need to attain all of the 20 normal masks, like I was saying, mentioned before, uh, which includes ones such as the bunny hood, uh, the Gibdo mask, the circus leader's mask, the couple's mask, which is actually from one of the longer side quests in the game, and the giant's mask, just to name a few examples. Uh, there's a lot of buildup to the finale of the game. Uh, you know, stopping the moon from crashing into Termina is your uh, main goal of the story. Um, and as you complete the dungeons, you start freeing the guardian spirits of the land, the four giants who each guard one of the uh, compass directions uh, from Clock Town. So there's the swamp, the mountains, the ocean, and the canyon, each in one of the four uh, compass directions. And once you free all of them, you can then call upon their power on the third night to help stop the moon from crashing into Clock Town and Intermina. Well, as you stop that, you soon learn that Majora's Mask um, has a life of its own and discards its owner, the Skull Kid, um, with the implication being that he was, or that the mask itself was influencing the Skull Kid rather than the Skull Kid doing all of these things, uh, you know, by sheer uh, free will alone. Uh, Link ends up charging after the mask in a hurry and in a kind of a strange twist even for all the bizarre things that happen in Majora's Mask. Link enters the moon itself to chase after him or to chase after Majora's Mask. Uh, what follows is an unlikely area that you come across. It's a giant green field below a sunlit sky with five children playing around a big tree on the top of a hill. Speaking to the four children running around shows them each wearing the remains of one of the bosses of the game from each of the four areas you travel to. And speaking to them will prompt Link to give them each a set number of masks uh, he has earned from out his adventure from helping the people of Termina. Each will give one of uh, Link's transformations a, a mini dungeon to tackle. Uh, so, example, for the first one that you help, he will take you to a little dungeon where the Deku Scrub form of Link uh, needs to navigate through uh, the giant ro open room using the, the Deku Flowers to get to the other side, uh, speak to the child again over there, and so on and so forth for these other mini dungeons. Each one is associated with a different form uh, Link can take throughout the game. Um, this has stuck with me uh, due to just sort of the unsettling nature of not only the serene environment, but the children and their questions that they ask Link. Uh, I've seen some debates if, you know, what they're supposed to represent the kids and, you know, what they ask Link. Like, some people say, you know, they're supposed to represent parts of Majora itself, uh, like the spirit that resides in the mask, or if the children are perhaps previous victims of Majora's power and are questioning Link for all of his uh, motives and actions going against the mask. Uh, by completing all of these mini dungeons and giving away all of your non-transformation masks, uh, the final child who sits below the tree will give you a reward after speaking to him, telling you he wants to play a game of good guys versus bad guys. The mask he gives to Link so he can play the, quote, bad guy is called the Fierce Deities Mask, which is your reward for getting not only 100%, but for helping the people and Land of Termina in their final hours, because... As some uh, outside materials make it clear, uh, the fierce deity is, or deity, deity, however you say it, is actually supposed to be the guardian spirit of Termina. Sort of like how the three goddesses are the guardians of Hyrule and the ones who help, you know, watch over the land, even if they don't necessarily take action. Well, in this game's case, the fierce deity can take action uh, through Link. So once you've obtained the mask or 
if you just choose to talk to the kid without doing any of the side dungeon stuff, uh, the final boss fight with Majora's Mask will begin in its own little dimension. It's split amongst three forms, each escalating in insanity within the domain of Majora's creation. Uh, you can either use your newly obtained reward to put an end to Majora once and for all and really just give you like a super massive power trip because of how powerful the fierce deity's mask is. Or you can fight against Majora just using all of your other skills and items that you've received uh, throughout your adventure with just regular Link. Or, you know, using the com the combined force of all the different transformation masks. Uh, whatever you do, it shows how Majora, in my opinion, believes it is in the right, being the good guy of the game, and you are in the wrong for trying to stop the mask and its plans. Uh, there's a few different interpretations, uh, just going back to what I was talking about before, of you know, what this all can mean. But I've always seen it as uh, Majora losing its cool and if, you know, you do end up getting 100%, decides to give Link a fighting chance or to just flat out mock him. This actually bookends with the beginning of the game when the Skull Kid under uh, the mask influence curses Link with the body of a Deku Scrub, which is, if you've never played the game, Deku Scrubs are just these little, like, uh, plant guys. They really can't wield much for weapons or anything and link is constantly confused as a much younger child than he actually is so a lot of people are like oh well you should you know beat with your mom and dad so i kind of felt like it was a if if to me it feels like it's a book into that where the mask is like well i suppose i give you a fighting chance but we're gonna make you the quote bad guy for this game of ours um and it also just shows how majora's mask itself it just treats things as a game and very childish in its actions Anyway, after a long fought battle, uh, we witnessed some uh, nice scenes and touching scenes as the people of Termina celebrate their land uh, being saved from the crashing moon. And the Skull Kid, who is now back to normal, uh, reconciling with his old friends, the four giants from the four cardinal directions uh, who stopped the moon and with the fairy twins, Tattle and Tail. Uh, we even get a shout out to Ocarina of Time with the Skull Kid uh, saying Link reminds him of the boy who taught him that song in the woods referring to the side quest from Ocarina of Time, where Link can teach a particular Skull Kid a serious song within the Lost Woods area. Um, after this little conversation, suddenly the Happy Mask Salesman shows up again, and he notes that all of the evil has left Majora's Mask, claiming the mask as he originally found it. He tells Link that it's about time the two of them, referring to him and Link, headed out on their way, reminding Link of that he must have left Hyrule to set off on a different kind of journey in the first place. However, as he turns to leave and walks away, he thanks Link for all of his efforts throughout Termina, telling him that all the memories and happiness he brought to the land will live on with or without the mask Link earned throughout his journey. This, you know, just depending on if you did end up giving up all the masks away, you know, ended up getting the Fierce Deities mask, or if you're replaying the game and you kept them all, you know, whatever the case might be. Link then rides off with Epona, the credits begin to play, and we see the people uh, who we meet throughout the game uh, celebrating the world being saved from the moon. Um, so, admittedly, that's a lot of context to give and just, you know, kind of explaining what happens in the ending. But I wanted to talk about it because I feel like, you know, with all of that final tension and stuff that builds up and for sort of the messages that Majora's Mask, um, you know, presents to the player, um, the ending, I feel, is just a really, like, a really genuinely nice ending. And again, like, it feels like a good 100% reward because... Uh, this ending has always stuck with me because of what it represents. So while things can be bad and can cause different reactions in individuals, there are always means to overcome whatever grief you are facing from the people of the from 
So with Termina, there's so many different people that you can help from one man wanting to see uh, his little baby chicks that he's been taking care of grow up to having someone to talk to about what weighs on your mind uh, and reminders of the ones we love and the ones and uh, the, yeah, the reminders of the ones we love and uh, what really drives us forward with passion. Link's actions help many of the people of Termina overcome their grief in whatever stage they might be in. It's because different characters are in different stages of the grieving process or in the denial process of what's going on with some, you know, outright denying the fate that looms above their very heads with one man in particular within uh, clock town, the head of the carpenters just being very adamant that the moon's not going to crash. It's nothing's going to happen. You you're all crazy. But um, the ending shows us that, you know, it's possible to overcome these sort of hardships. Sometimes you just need a bit of a helping hand or just finding the right person. And this is all reflected as the credits play, as for each of the masks you obtained throughout your journey from the different side quests and things, uh, the ending will have new cutscenes to show what has become of the people you helped. Um, so without earning those masks, though, the screen will remain black and only show the mask related to that scene that you did not collect. So, for example, for one that I find just kind of nice because it's really short and sweet, the the postman that runs around Clocktown, he feels so conflicted with that he needs to stay and do his job, but he also knows that he should try and save himself. But he doesn't want to abandon his duties because he worked so hard to get that job. You can end up giving him a letter to deliver to the woman who's in charge of the post office. He takes it to her on the third day, and she even comments, well, what are you still doing here? You should run and save yourself, you know? You shouldn't just get your, be tied down to your job all your life. He realizes that, you know, that's something that he shouldn't be just so narrow-minded and focused on. He thanks Link, and in the credits, you actually see him enjoying, you know, some freedom and not being so tied down to his job and uh, just enjoying a nice, peaceful day running around through the fields of Termina, just taking in the sunshine and, you know, enjoying some of that newfound freedom of his. Uh, so... To sort of wrap things up here, to me, this ending shows us or shows me that, you know, hope exists and that people can find happiness in all kinds of forms. Uh, there is still hardships for some and that and uh, that there's not always a way to always overcome what has affected us. But, you know, from these experiences, we can grow and find something new on uh, in our lives or remember what made us happy and what keeps and find what keeps us going. Um Again, just to tie this kind of back to the game, this is best shown at the very end of the credits when Link is once again back in the mysterious forest at the beginning, and he continues, decides to continue on his quest, looking up into the sunlight, and rides off with Epona uh, to find his lost friend, the fairy who traveled through time with him in his previous adventure. We then end with a tree stump, or, on a, or excuse me, we end on a tree stump with a carving of Link and his new friend, the Skull Kid, all while a distant rendition of Serious Song plays. So just to kind of summarize that all up, just got to know I've been talking for a little bit there. I just really enjoy how this ending can show that even though a lot of the people in this game, you know, are, are really struggling with what's going on, whether it's in their own lives or the moon's affecting it or whatever the Skull Kid might have been doing while under Majora's Mask influence, that for going for that 100% and really helping out so many different people, you get to see a lot of these great uh, happy endings for so many of the characters. There's a few that are unfortunately still reminded of unfortunate things in their lives, but that um, they then start to, you know, find something new or they just learn to not let that um, overshadow everything else about them. So, you know, kind of uh, gives them a bit of clarity and just lets them, you know, kind of live, continue to live their life without being, you know, burdened by those things. I know I've been talking for a bit there, but that's always why I've liked Majora's Mask ending, and especially because, you know, it does reward you so well for, you know, going for the 100%, which I feels kind of lacking in some other Zelda games. So, if any of you guys have played Majora's Mask, do you have any thoughts and opinions on the ending of it at all? 
I never made it to the ending because timetables really stress me out. (laughs) (laughs) I played the other Nintendo 64 one, but uh, never got around Ocarina of Time. And then uh, I think I got stuck into a multi-year, what is it, real-time strategy, turn-based kind of city-building cycle. I I distinctly remember that at the end of uh, my first years of teaching. Civilization? yeah oh yeah civilization and other stuff i i I had zelda ocarina of time it's like the one game i played right after i graduated college and started teaching and that game drove me to the computer for about three years (laughs) and yeah at the at the end of it all i was like oh man i missed out on majora's mask yeah a lot of people like especially like in my age group really consider Majora's Mask like one of the best Zelda games and one of their favorites. Um, I grew up with both Ocarina and Majora's Mask. So Mm -hmm. um, both of them are, you know, I I have you know a lot of love for both of them. I don't know if I would call them like the best Zelda games, but they are two of my favorite ones for sure. And um, I I just like how with Majora's Mask, they kind of took a different approach too, because I didn't really mention it before, but there's a lot more uh, character focus in that game because it was just supposed to originally be just an expansion of Ocarina of Time, but they really were just like, okay, you know what? You guys can do what you want with this game, but you got to have it done within this set time period of like a year and a half or something like that for the Nintendo DD drive that didn't, that doesn't even exist because that thing was a, <laughs> you know, a fa- just such a failure, unfortunately. So I think it's pretty cool that for as short of a development time as they had for Majora's Mask, that they were able to come up with something that, you know, can really tackle a lot of, and I think that's why it's stuck with people too, is because Majora's Mask is not afraid to tackle uh, some pretty serious stuff with the characters. And, you know, it still has, you know, goofy fantasy stuff, you know, like you'd expect from, Uh, a fantasy style game like this but it's kind of nice that they take a little bit more of a realistic approach for how some characters you know handle um their grief or they handle you know loss or how they can't how they feel like they can't um uh tackle a problem in their lives but once they kind of realize that oh you know other people have the same sort of issue or whatever it might be like there's one little side quest for a mask where all you do is you just talk to a man who's sitting next to um the little laundry room or not laundry room the laundry pool in Clocktown, and he just tells you about his past and he even tells you it's like you know talking about this you know to somebody you know just makes me feel a lot better now you know I, I don't know why i held on to this for so long you know thanks for listening so and sometimes that's just what people need and i think that's why this game has clicked with so many people especially you know back then and you know even still now that people you know just find um you know even though it's video game that there's you know a little bit of humanity in there and that you know, there's ways that people can, you know, look past it just being a video game. You know, hopefully what I'm saying makes sense for how people were able to connect to it. But that that's one reason why this game's always stuck with me, because it tackled stuff like even as a kid, I'm like, huh, you know, I wouldn't have thought about that. Or, or um, I, did, I wouldn't have thought that from after playing Ocarina of Time, it's just like, you know, this is a lot different. But it, but in a good way, it's a lot different. <laughs> Woo. I was I was like thinking of going next, but totally like I don't want anybody to get whiplash as I'm like, <laughs> let people die. It's fine. So <laughs> we'll go from that to probably something that's a little bit as a uh, probably will take it as a little bit more seriously than me. Um, Pendy, you're you're a little bit triggered about your game. I am. I'm chrono triggered. Yeah, it's time. Time but for I'm triggering. <laughs> but yes, 
I am going to go over the uh, ending or endings for Chrono Trigger, and I would argue that oh, you'll see, you'll see. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah. You just just wait, just Sit wait a minute. Let's wait a minute. I'll get to it. You'll see. <laughs> Jeez, patient people. No, I have no um, time, man. <laughs> there's no time. Uh, but yeah, I would argue that Chrono Trigger um, is a game that ended up um, popularizing the uh, new game plus feature that it has. And uh, you'd see that uh, after after it, it's used that feature, you'd see a lot of other JRPs in the future that would use that as well. Um, this game, as we have been joking about, is built around time travel. And because of that, there are many different endings depending on your actions throughout time. Uh, you go through different errors throughout the game. The true experience of the game is to experience a lot of these multiple endings. Like, I, I usually don't like to critique how anyone chooses to play a video game, but if you aren't going for the different endings in this game, you're really missing out on how this game was built to deliver its true experience, I, I would argue that. Uh, in particular, uh, with the first game, there are 12 different endings that you can get. And, you know, as I alluded to, I am here to give you an in-depth description of every single one of them. Are you, are you all ready for this? All right, let me go get another drink. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Or else we'd, be, we'd be here for... We'd need to have three podcasts instead of two to split this all up. <laughs> but what you get depends on how and when you confront confront the uh, the final boss who's named Lavos. And some of the endings even have uh, slight variations on them. There's one in particular that has like four or five like different variations on it. But there's basically 12, at least in the original game. The only exception to this, because I keep saying just the original game, the only exception to this is the bonus 13th ending that's exclusive to the DS mobile and Windows version of this game. And you get to fight a boss, uh, a different boss called the Dream Devourer, or Dream Devourer. And fun fact, this ending will actually link up to Chrono Cross. So it brings in a little bit of connection to that game. So that's pretty cool. So uh, among these endings, I'll just go over some of the highlights that are fun. Uh, some of the highlights include the character Frog, that who's able to turn back into human form, and there's a couple different ways that this can happen depending on what you do. Uh, there's, uh, is it? I'm always bad with names. Is it? Is it? Mar anyone who else has played this game, is it Marl or Marley? Uh, you can say it either way. It's either it's way. It's a tomato okay. tomato situation. Gotcha, gotcha. So I always Mar thought Marl. Oh, Marl? Yeah, that's what I thought too. But I figured I'd ask. Yeah, it, it's one of those names where you can say it Marl, but if you say it Marley, then you know it's fine because it, it's a tomato tomato situation. So you say however you want to. Cool, cool. Arceus, so, Arceus. <laughs> but yeah, Marl's family. Uh, there's one where Marl's family ends up being this, being uh, like half human and half frog because. <laughs> <laughs> the character Frog gets it on with her ancestor, which is pretty funny. And uh, there's also one where everyone ends up being a reptite, these lizard-type creatures that are in historic times, prehistoric times, since you end up saving them in a, in a timeline, depending on how you do it. So that's a pretty cool ending. And then there's this really great ending where you beat the boss, and then there's just this abrupt and sudden, the end, that falls down on the screen, and that's it. And then... That, this like upsets Marl, who runs out on the screen, and she's like, "What is this? Why? why this is it?" And so then she decides to uh, chat it up with Luca, who also comes on the screen, and they do this little review of some of the male characters that are in the game. Uh, usually, none of them, a lot of them are NPCs, but some of them are major characters that you run into. But yeah, they keep they they grow by on the screen, and they they say little catty things about them, or little sarcastic things about them, or like, "Oh, this guy's kind of cute," and stuff like that. But it's funny, and and and. 
because of this, uh, how ridiculous this get, this actually prompts the the, the main character Chrono to only ha to have his only dialogue in the game. The two lines he only has two lines in this game, and it's in this ending, and it's him getting annoyed at them. And after that, they decide to kind of run off together to, uh, and they decide to have some future adventures in present day. Uh, but yes, the, now the uh, the highlight of this, especially if you are familiar with the people who have made this game. It's the hardest ending in the game, and you have to beat Lavos very early on in it to do it. Now, if you get this, uh, if you beat the Lavos very early on and you're able to get this ending, you get transported to this area where you get to meet all of the creators of the game, who are oftentimes in the form of like a different game character or a monster, but they have lots of little fun things to say about working on the game or, or little sarcastic quips or like poetry or whatever. It's a lot of fun. Like they'll often say very amusing things like, oh, man, does this finally mean we, we are free to go home? Like this guy's been stuck in this game forever working on it. Or I lost 22 pounds making this game and things like that. <laughs> and then there's this final room area that you get to go to and you meet the dream team, the famous dream team for this game. Uh, you get to meet Akira Toriyama, who's a famous monster and character designer for Dragon Quest and for this game. You get to meet... Nobuo Uematsu, who's the famous Final Fantasy music composer who did some of the music for this game. You get to meet Yuji Horii, who, of course, is the Dragon Quest creator, who also helped create this game. You get to meet Kazuhiko Aoki, who is the producer who put everybody, the stream team, together. And then finally, you get to meet Kuranobu... Uh, I'm a member of my names. Uh, Sakaguchi, who is a Final Fantasy You were doing so creator. good, too. I was. I was on a roll. You were nailing those. On a you roll, were. You were close. I, it's I was honestly impressed. <laughs> that last name, that last first name, it got me. And I was trying to practice it before, too. But anyways. So, yeah. So, he's the final one of the Dream Team that you get to meet. It's fantastic. You know, I played this back when I was, I don't know, middle middle school when this game came out. 95-ish. So, I would have been 15. Like, I... I didn't. I honestly didn't really know who these people were. I didn't find out until years later, and then it made so much sense why I ended up loving this game. It's like, oh, of course, it's the people who made Final Fantasy got together with the people who made Dragon Quest. Of course, it's the best game ever. So it made sense to me afterwards, like how much I ended up loving this game. But, anyways, what's great is after you meet these people, they joke about how, like, you know, you really, you know, beat this game really early and you blew by it pretty fast. So we're gonna give you the credits in the same style. And then they blow by the credits and the music. They tweak the music so it's like super fast speed and it's like do 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 do. And it, the credits just go by in a few seconds. And then that's the end of the game. It's a it's a fantastic ending. But yeah, that's uh, that's Chrono Trigger. My little review of the multiple endings for that game. What do you guys think uh, of those who have played it? Well, Blue, I'll let you go first. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh so I have this bad habit of playing games up until the final boss and then being like, oh, but I might have missed something back there. So I should go and just go back and make sure that I got that before I beat the game. And then I never beat the game. Uh, I do that. <laughs> I, do <laughs> I did that with Zelda games a lot. I eventually uh. did go back and beat most of the Zelda games that I've played. However, that did not happen with Chrono Trigger. So I don't know any of the endings of Chrono Trigger. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, because I mean, it doesn't really matter too much in this game because of the New Game Plus feature, so if you miss something, you can get it back like the second time that you go through it. And when you go back through it again, um, you get all the items and weapons and armor that you had before. So that's like your little bonus that you keep so you can get through the game more easily the, the second, third, fourth, and so on through it. Yeah, so that's one of the tricks you can use, too, to that. help you. Sorry, <laughs> look at it, think how long to beat. Oh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I was going to say, um, if you use that trick, too, at the New Game Plus thing, that's how you can uh, help yourself beat the game, like, super early. Because if you can get, like, max uh, level and stuff, you know, you can go in and beat Lava super fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've um, played through Chrono Trigger a few times, seen all the endings and whatnot, and... Um, Probably my favorite endings that you can get are the ones where that little kid from the six or from 600 AD, where he actually does become the hero of legend instead of a frog. And he goes off to confront Magus. Well, Mm -hmm. you get up to the top of the tower and it's Kronos, the bad guy now, instead of of Magus or Magus, however you say it. I've always called him uh, uh, Magus. But anyway, it's funny that he, that Krono is now the uh, big bad of 600 AD along with Luca and Marley uh, teaming up with him. And that was just a really funny kind of gag ending to come across. Um, my other favorite one is, I don't remember the name of the ending, but it's the one where the mysterious prophet from uh, 12,000 BC uh, goes into the Ocean Palace to go and confront um, Lavos, who, it's you can tell who it is. Um, it's, it's, it's Magus in disguise. You know, he uses his knowledge of the future to go back and, you know, uh, make the people of zeal think that he's you know this this magical prophet he knows the future everything like that um i like that ending because um it shows him trying to go down into the depths you know stop lavos once and for all because uh, if you know about uh magus's backstory he's trying to find a way to save his sister uh scala mm-hmm. or shala I, i've always called her scala um, trying to save her, and I, oh gosh, what is he has a really great line in that ending. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but it's something where he says like, "If it's fate's destiny for me to die with my mission, then you know, so be it. I'll save my sister no matter what," or something like that. And like Magus is one of my favorite characters from Chrono Trigger, so I really like that this ending kind of gave him you know his uh, moment to try and uh, save his sister once and for all because that's what he's been wanting to do. Ever because he's like only, I mean, she's the only friend that he had. So that was an ending that I really enjoyed because it kind of gave Magus this moment of like, well, is he going to succeed or you know what's going to happen? It leaves it all very ambiguous in that ending. But th- there's a lot of really good like alternate endings you can get in this game if you know. There's some that are kind of hard to get, so you know, using a guide is probably a good idea if you want to see all of them. But yeah, because um, there's there's a probably about half of them ish are pretty pretty easy to get but yeah there's a few of them that you it's definitely better to use a guide because they're they're kind of it's weird to how you get them so yeah and you have to do some of really uh, specific moments too like Mm -hmm. there's ones where you have to start a story beat but you can't go too far into it otherwise you lose the chance there's one where you have to do them like in between just you you know it's it's it'd be a little hard to explain every single one right now but there's a lot of them where that's why i recommend using a guide too because there's a lot where it's like oh boy like i I don't know about you penny but when i've tried going for some of the endings like back when i first played the game and i was replaying through it i was like how on earth was i supposed to kind of know that that was what i was supposed to do to get that ending (laughs) yeah and i think that's that's i think that has that uh, final fantasy influence to it because i always noticed that with final fantasy games when i was growing up where i would uh, i would beat the game and then i would go back and and uh, use a guide for like secrets and stuff like that and then the the sequence of events that you'd have to do to get some things, I'm like, how would someone on God's green earth be able to figure out how to do that in that order and, and get that kind of thing? And that always always amazed me on, on the, that kind of thing. So I wasn't surprised to see that in Chrono Trigger as well sometimes. But usually when I when I uh, beat a game once, then I'm I'll do I maybe do a few things by myself, but then I'm all 
hands in on guides, and I'm just like, I'm just gonna see the guide and see what there is to do. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'll I'll play a, I'll play a game blind once, and then after that, I don't mind using the guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plenty, all right, we're done talking. We're done. Yeah, <laughs> come back. Play. Somebody come call back. me. Somebody call me. Blue, I'll do the choice here. Would you like to go next, or uh, you want me to go? It depends. Are you raring to go, or I'm raring to go. I can get fired okay. up about this. Okay, go get fired up. All right, all right. So I'm gonna talk about a pair of games because my these pair of games. I did the same thing in them, and I think you're going to find that I'm going to talk way less than uh, our, our previous two uh, people about their games. Uh, I'm going to talk about Atelier Lulua, and I'm going to talk about Bravely Default 2. Um, kind of the same thing happened to me in both these games, and it, it plot-wise, I was like just fine with both of them. And I, I probably could have talked about Octopath Traveler and a couple other games where I'm just like, hey, you know what? Pendy's going on with his multiple endings, and I'm like, hey, I just saw the word the end. I'm out. Peace. No more. Done. So um, I'm going to talk about Lulua first, and I don't know if any of you guys have ever played an Atelier game. Yep, all the crickets. So I got, uh, gosh, I played Atelier Iris Eternal Mana way back on the PS2 20 years ago. thought it was kind of fun. I was like, wow, this is just typical by the book. JRPG um, and never went back to the series. But uh, as part of being with RP Gamer, I got the review code. I was kind of grabbing all the review codes I could back 2018, 2019. And I saw Atelier Lou coming up. I was like, oh, I've heard people talk about this series. I haven't played it in 20 years. Why not? Um, I think the person who had reviewed like the last five or six was like, fuck it. I've done too many of these games in a row. Someone else want to take a review. I was like, I'll try it. So of course, I jump in. This is like the fourth game in a tetralogy. Um, you, you're the adopted daughter of this uh, alchemist, Rorona, from one of the other games. But whatever, they all look like they're the same age. You're like, hey, it's mom. And it's like anime mom who's, you know, looks like she's like 20 and you're 15, 16. So whatever. Um you're the adopted daughter, you want to be an alchemist too, and, you know, of course that means you got shit to do. Uh, but you're walking around town one day, and, like, this book just appears out of somewhere, whacks you on the head, and you, like, open the book, but it's, like, blank. There's nothing in it. And you're like, oh, what, what's this book? Well, eventually you start to be able to read the book, and, it like, the literal, the book pops up on the screen, and you turn pages, and this is how the game goes. There's literally chapters in the game, like, there's chapters in the book. And little tasks appear that you need to do and it's on the page of the book i actually thought that was kind of neat you're literally like writing the story in the book as you go um well you know game goes on 30 40 hours you're crossing back and forth across the continent doing turn-based battles collecting a bunch of stuff mixing it all in your pot um lots of alchemy uh that's mainly the point of one of those uh atelier games uh, eventually, you get back to this place that you were in in the uh, prologue. It's called the Fels Galaxen. It's this tower near the middle of the continent, um, around the middle of the world. You're, you're back here around chapter nine, I believe, and there's supposed to be chapter like 11 uh, chapters in the game, 11 possible chapters there are. Um, around chapter nine, you know, shit's starting to go down in the world. Like, oh man, there might be a big bad, something's going on, the world might just be shit out of luck unless someone fixes it all and at this point like just kind of a random dialogue like things happen all the time you're talking to your characters or whatever and you've got this uh character called 
and gosh, I have no idea how to pronounce it. It's S-T-I-A. Stia? Stia? Um, well, you've encountered her and had her join the party and whatever. And because, you know, everybody's got to look like they're a 16-year-old anime girl. She's like this possibly thousands years old robot in the game. And she's like, hey, you know what? If I just go into the Fels Galaxon, now that we've opened like the third floor of it and there's like a control room, I can like sit forever in that control room and like save the world. Just make sure the place is running fine. I was like, awesome. Thank you so much. Game over. Credits run. It's awesome. I just beat the game. Like <laughs> the world is saved. Thank you, immortal being, for going and sitting in the control room for all eternity. <laughs> and this is great for what I'm about I, to talk about. <laughs> I was like, this is what I want to do. I played this game for 40, 50 hours. I get what an Atelier game is. This is great. I, th it's got so many different endings. All these games have ridiculous amounts of endings. And the best ending is the curry ending. And if you, you know alchemize something to level 750 you can get this ending and i'm like at level 50 i'm like fuck that shit i'm not i'm not playing for that i just saw credits i can write my review and go on vacation it's <laughs> this is getting into early june i gotta i gotta get out of town so i was happy with this and then what was funny is kind of there's a little scene after that where um lulu is like man that was really shitty that i stuck her in that place for all of eternity i wonder if things could be done differently and she starts writing a book and like casts a spell to send the book into an alternate universe so like an alternate version of her can make better choices next time so it, it kind of then that is the spoiler for like if you keep going on you do deal with alternate reality parallel universe stuff that I never dealt with because I was done with it. I was like, eh, thanks. You, you, you took this one for the team. Thanks a lot, robot girl. And <laughs> <laughs> it, it was kind of how I played Bravely Default 2 as well, because um, even though I put this in like my top three of 2021 that I played, it, it was just kind of like a default JRPG for me. You've got your party of four. You're going around the world. You're changing jobs. You're trying to, you know, city by city's got all these problems. They got side quests, fun little card game to play. Um, you know, there's some big darkness coming once, like every thousand years or something like that. Uh, right, Angus? Wasn't it? That thing was supposed to come every so often, 500 years. And uh, you've got yeah, it's uh, like every hundred years or something like that. Oh, maybe it's even more of that. But like Gloria, this girl on your team, like she has been training for this her whole life. Like this is her purpose in the world is to defeat this darkness. Like she's a princess and that is what she's going to do. So get to the end of the game and it's uh, this uh, and boss. They're trying to eradicate the world. It's uh, one, I, made, I guess I. Might as well spoil the whole hell out of it. But you got another party named uh, party member named Adele. She's got this fairy sister, Edna, that is trying to just eradicate the world with the power of the Knight's Nexus. The Knight's Nexus is the darkness. It's so powerful. There's no way to stop it. So even Ooh. if you beat her and defeat it, oh, well, not really. So Gloria has to do what she's been trained to do her whole life. She sacrifices herself with the power of the crystals and boom, end credits, bravely default done out completely happy with that um and i was happy with this ending i'm like hey she's been training her whole life for this who might have step in at the end and be like wait 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 no 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 you, you don't need to do that like that that's that's her life that's 
her death. That's what she was there to do. That's what the game told me. But, you know, there's actually way more that other people did. And thank you for Austin on uh, DQFM. I stumbled across your Screen Rant article uh, today while looking up like specifically what goes on later on and uh, was reading through it. And I did start kind of the ending. There's some like hint before you go into the battle that there's something may not be right. And there's always little twists in the Bravely Default games. And the twist here is um, you can load up a save from before the battle. And it's like, you know, there was probably a better way to do this. And you go through a whole new quest line. You go to the land of the fairies. You get some fairies. They can tell you how to defeat the Nexus. Um, get all these new weapons. And you get back there and you fight the Nexus. And woohoo! The queen of the fairies is there and the other fairies are there. And, but, you know, the Nexus again, too strong. Fairies are like, listen, man, we got this. We're going to lock this shit down. You guys go live your life. Um, but we got to stay here. And now Adele. And fairies or whatever are now they're locked for locking up the Nexus. Gloria's save, but you know, I never got to this. I wonder if anybody actually stopped there. That seemed like a dick move. You know what? Gloria was ready to do it. Maybe all the fairies weren't. So you can even go farther down the rabbit hole here. Um, loading your save file again. Uh, you can go back. You can get more jobs. And if you get all the optional jobs, and uh, I think you got to level them up to a certain level at least. You can be strong enough and get the true ending where you actually defeat the Knight's Nexus for the final time. And woohoo, everybody's happy and lives until they naturally die, assumingly, whatever. But I, both of these games, I, I, I don't know if it was the length or maybe I just wasn't invested so much with it. But both of them just had endings that I was like, you know what? This is good. These people were here for a purpose. Robot Girl's been around for millennia. Why not have her do something for a while? Go sit in that tower and take one for the team. Or Gloria, you know, that that was that like she was born and raised like, hey, you're going to take this dude out and, you know, it's going to cost you your life, but it's worth it. You know, good, good old Star Trek. Uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And you know what? In both of these cases, my need to move on to another game and pat these games on the head and say thank you for a good time and move it on. I was good with that. <laughs> so, uh, I, Yangus, I, I'm sure you have some differing opinions on Bravely Default 2 endings. You yeah, know, well, they're just... They, it just kind of drags things out and just was like, yeah. oh, well, you can do this thing instead. Oh, no, you can do this to change fate. It, yeah, I, I've talked. I've talked enough about why I'm not that huge. You fan did. Of you did. Default too, but <laughs> basically, like I, I kind of in agreement with uh, Platy. Like honestly, just kind of wish I'd stopped where I did because the extra stuff. It's it's cool that you can change the fate of you know what's supposed to happen, but at the same time, it's just like you, you have to, like uh, you didn't do chapter seven. You didn't start that at all, did you? Right? You didn't. You, uh, you, that, you didn't go into there. Is that the fairy area? That's or actually that... the one after the fairy area. Oh, no, I did not get that far. Actually. Okay, so <laughs> with that one, it pretty much at that point just becomes, you like grinding? Well, guess what? You can grind all the job classes <laughs> up to level 15 now, and you can yeah. fight another one that admittedly does have a cool um, shout-out to um, the previous two Bravely games with how the mm -hmm. class, how that particular class works and its uh, skill set and stuff, but um, it's just a lot of effort for what I feel is not worth the the reward you know because like you have to have 
you know, you have to have a satisfying conclusion. And you know what? From knowing what happens after you beat Chapter 7, it's like, no, that's that's not worth it, game. That's that a really stupid explanation <laughs> for a lot of these things you were, you know, trying to set up. Well, hey, at least it didn't repeat itself, repeat itself, repeat itself, repeat itself. Oh, my <laughs> God. Kind of Sorry, my editing got wrong there. <laughs> it, they, they can't escape that fate. They really can't with any of these games. Because even bravely, well, you know, even bravely second has you repeating stuff, even though the new game plus thing works a bit differently in that one. Because in that one, you still have to go back and refight a bunch of the bosses you previously fought and stuff. You're just now in a slightly different way, like the first game, <laughs> just not quite as intense as the first one. <laughs> So, but um, uh, these games, I, I, I experienced what I wanted to with them. I enjoyed both of them very much. I yeah. did I write? Did, oh, I didn't. I didn't write the review for Bravely Default Two. I was going to, and I was told, "Hey, you got to do all the endings." And I was like, "No, I ain't doing that." <laughs> so <laughs> I did. Read... All the people on staff that were uh, that were doing it, and I'm like, "I I will gladly Bravely Default to you two. And yeah. You know the dumb. You know the dumb thing is, Platty. So, um, (laughs) with with how bravely Default Two ends. So, uh, well, I'm just gonna spoil it. I don't care. So, you know that journal that um, what's his name uh, Elvis uses the whole game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually supposed to be one of the job asterisks too. It's the librarian job asterisk. Mm. Yeah. So you have to then use that in order to stop the Knights Nexus. So literally, you throw the book at him to kill him. Yeet. Nice. Yeah, ba- basically, like honestly, just because I grew up with all that old YouTube poop crap from like 2008, it reminds me of that one cutscene from one of those bad Zelda uh, CDI games where literally Link wins the day by throwing a book at Ganon, and Ganon gets trapped in the book because that's that's pretty much what happened. They saw that ending and like we can do that, but make it cooler. Can we though? We'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> I also yeah. realized that I have actually played one of the Etlier Iris games. I played uh, Eternal Mana for the PlayStation 2. I ended up Yeah, that that's one. the one I played. And oh. It, like that, yeah, that that's the same one? plays nothing like all the other 20 games in the series, apparently. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yep. So that's actually interesting, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it as a transition. Sorry if I'm stealing your thunder, Platy. Um, but the Atelier games are games that I like always saw at GameStop, and I was like, huh, that seems kind of interesting. Much in the same way that I sort of fell in with the Tales series. I was literally at GameStop one day, and I you know, picked it up off the shelf, and I'm like, huh, this, looks, this Tales of Graces F game looks interesting. And I look at the back, and it's, huh, it's one to four players. This would be something cool to play with my brother. So I bought it. Um, and to this day, it's one of the best games that we've ever played. And my brother says, nice. and we've been chasing that high ever since. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's it's kind of a weird game in the series because it it's my favorite by a long shot but i think a lot of other veteran fans don't like it quite as much as the others i don't know why i don't know what they're on um but i guess sort of a little very quick summary of an 80 hour story that i am 140 hours in currently on my playthrough (laughs) it's a fun game to grind in um the game opens with a short prologue of the characters as kids with one of my favorite lines in a video game ever, I'm 11 years old, I go where I want. <laughs> <laughs> so the kiddos find a strange girl with amnesia in a meadow, 
they make friends with a prince who's the victim of an assassination attempt, and eventually they find themselves in some catacombs with a strange creature, the prince passed out, and the mystery girl ends up actually sacrificing herself to save you. It's a, it's a rough first like hour of the game. Um, and that leads to a seven-year intermission where the main character runs away from home, joins the Knight Academy, so he can get strong enough that he never has to lose everyone he, anyone he loves ever again. The main arc starts with kind of a reunion with even a lookalike of the mystery girl who died seven years earlier. Um, the prince is once again the victim of a coup after his father was murdered by his uncle, uh, so you pledge yourself to him to try to help him get his kingdom back, and he starts to go a little crazy. Um, some weird black magic stuff comes out of him. He starts, you know, getting really angry at things and eventually he basically banishes you from the kingdom for, you know, basically questioning him, being like, uh, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't you, this sort of violence and, you know, we have to absolutely murder everyone, any, anyone who ever doubted me vibe is not the 11 year old that I was friends with seven years ago and haven't <laughs> talked to in seven years, but clearly you should still be the same person. <laughs> so after after that, it ends up that he starts to harvest the energy of all of the countries in the world. And so he starts, this king guy starts to become a real threat. Um, so you journey around the world, you find out that there is a parasitic creature that came from another planet um, and that this creature is influencing King Richard and basically making him evil. So it's kind of a Venom, Eddie Brock uh, relationship. You go to this planet and end up learning that the mystery girl, who is actually the same girl who died seven years ago and didn't age day, um, she's actually a humanoid weapon that was sent specifically to destroy the parasite who is now possessing the king. However, in order to do that, she has to destroy herself in the process. So you see, you see, this is kind of the, well, she was built to destroy herself in order to kill this parasite thing, right? Yeah, she's uh, going here. Yeah, yeah. So. That's kind of my two-minute synopsis. I don't know if it was actually two minutes or not. Um, but, so Tales is a series that is heavily influenced by anime. It's full of tropes. The biggest one, especially in this, is that the power of friendship will conquer all, which I know makes a lot of people, you know, on this podcast, especially Angus, I think, mention that it just, it just makes him groan. However... This isn't the now, same- Now, hold on. I don't like <laughs> the power of friendship when it's shoved in your face like an annoying little kid pestering you. That's what I don't like. I'm 11 years old. I go where I want. Yeah, if it's done well, it's good. <laughs> but if it's just shoved in your face and annoying a map, then it's just shit. This, this, <laughs> this particular instance, I think it's done very, very well. Um, so it's not actually just that the characters get all mushy-mushy and suddenly have the power to defeat the final boss, which is this parasite. Um, so this parasite has no form of his own, so he's got to inhabit another being similar to Venom. And in the last three dungeons of the game, you actually get to see a little bit of this parasite's backstory. Um, he was actually inhabiting basically a robot similar to your friend, the Terminator, basically. Um, and there were people on this planet who wanted to destroy him, but there was one person who was kind of like his father figure that basically sent him on an escape pod to your planet, and he watched his father figure get gunned down in front of him as he was escaping to the other planet. Um, yeah. 
So, and then he spent, you know, hundreds of years alone, running from Terminator robot, and just, you know, not really knowing what to do. Um, so yeah, he's a parasite, he's evil, he's got terrifying powers, but he went through a lot of shit too. And it creates a lot of internal conflict because throughout the course of the game, you know, the protagonist had a really rough childhood. He watched one of his best friends die, even though she didn't really die, right before, her eye, before his eyes. Um, his father dies, you know, without really them ever being able to reconcile their differences. He gets banished from his hometown. He gets banished from, you know, his kingdom by the king. And he just sort of watches all of his, his one of his friends just like descend into madness. And he even starts to think as he's seeing these visions, would I have come out as good as I did if I didn't have the friends that I do have by me to get me through this? So it's so so that's on one end is that this big bad guy is kind of a sympathetic character, which you don't really get in a lot of Dragon Quest games. One of the other conflicts is that, you know, his whole seven-year trading arc was he doesn't want to ever have to lose someone he loves ever again. So if his Terminator robot friend has to sacrifice herself to destroy this thing, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of everything that he's been working for. The third conflict is that the big bad is possessing his good friend, King Eddie Brock, and beating the crap out of him might kill that friend too. So there's there's a lot of... <laughs> I can't believe they got Arnold Schwarzenegger for this game. You are right, Yangus. Arnold Schwarzenegger has purple pigtails. It's great. <laughs> um, <We don't> <laughs> no, she, it's, it, the characters in this game are all very, very good. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the original design for the Terminator, purple pigtails. Um, so, you know, this, I'm 11 years old, I go where I want guy who is now grown up, he has to come up with a way to sort of get out of this lose-lose situation where he doesn't have, doesn't have to give up any of his friends. And his situation, his, his, his idea, make friends with the big bad. Let him possess you so that you can save your friend and convince the big bad that, you know, there are some good things in the world. Be the friend that he never had to help him get through all of, you know, the shit that just, you know, keeps beating you down over and over and over again. So, yeah, you literally get possessed by the big bad at the end of the game. And it ends up, you know, saving the world for better or worse. Now, the interesting thing is Tales of Grace's F is basically like a Dragon Quest XIS Definitive Edition that was released for the PlayStation 3 after the original was released for Wii. This adds like a second uh, extra future arc to the game, sort of like a post-game, where you actually sort of get to see how things pan out with you just being possessed by this dark, evil power after all of the events of the main game go down. And it's honestly really cool to get a lot of closure and even go on you know one last quest to sort of you know there, there's obviously some new bad thing that's going to happen to the world and you have to go and save that and eventually you know the parasite that's possessing you he wants to help you save the world too 
So you get to use some of his power to beat up the bad guys. And it's just really, really satisfying, really full circle. And so I really like that ending a lot. Nice. All right. Well, I think that brings us full circle. We've all uh, talked about our... <laughs> boom boom Our first... Uh... <laughs> Our first one. So uh, we're, we're going to bring this back around to Yengus. Uh, what is the second game you want to uh, opine about? Yeah, sure. Um, let me see. Let me get my notes pulled up here. So this is a game that I know that Pendy has played, and this is actually one we talked about on the very first episode of Side Quest we did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we originally started this up. Uh, and one of my other favorite endings is from Final Fantasy VI. So first off, you know, this ending has you know a lot of great buildup to the final battle. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go too much into the... Um, you know, just talking about the game itself, just because we talked about it in the very first episode. So, if you want to hear Yangus and everyone else run their yaps about Final Fantasy VI, please go back to episode <laughs> one of Side Quest. So, so uh, anyway, so with Final Fantasy VI, I think there's a really great build up to the final battle. Uh, you know, in the second half of the game, you slowly rebuild your party with all of the characters, uh, including two new faces via Gogo the Mime and Umaro, and eventually you take the fight to Keska himself. Uh, splitting the party amongst three teams, you work together to overcome the various puzzles and bosses of Kafka's Tower. This becomes the final showcase uh, for one of the gameplay elements that's been demonstrated in earlier portions of the game, where you have to split up your party in order to defend somebody, uh, you know, complete a dungeon, protect a certain waypoint, and so on. Uh, the final fight with Kefka, once the battle begins, starts with each of your playable characters, or sorry, right before the battle begins, uh, starts with each of your playable characters, except for Gogo and Umaro, even in all of the remakes that the game has gotten, uh, telling Kefka why they continue to fight and live on in the, in Kefka's own world, and Kefka's own words, this world that refuses to die, as the Mad Clown likes to put it. Uh, each of the characters tells him their reason for wanting to uh, keep on living, Kefka insults them all by saying, you all sound like you're just lines from a self-help a self-help book. This is ridiculous. And he starts to use his ray of destruction on the planet. The party then tries to confront, starts to confront him. And as the battle begins, you get to choose the order uh, for all of the characters who fight. So if somebody ends up perishing in a certain phase and the next phase starts, another character will take their place in the order you set up. And once you've done your order selecting, it be- the final battle begins. Each phase of the final fight puts you against one portion of the Tower of Gods, a mock of the warring of the warring triad statues who once controlled all magic in the world before Kefka screwed things up. The final phase ends with Kefka descending from the heavens in a mocking form, presenting himself as some kind of godly figure ripped straight from the creation of Adam by Michelangelo. Even his artwork in that particular fight looks a lot different than even some of the other enemy sprites in the game, which is why I make that comparison. Uh, Each phase of the final boss uh, has its own theme, uh, each of them being a different movement of the song Dancing Mad, uh, which is a play on Kefka and um, how he essentially is a dancing mad fool, you know, because because he's a jester who ends up becoming corrupt by the powers of magic and magicite, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Each part of Dancing Mad and each form of the boss has its own unique take on a particular theme from the game. So the first phase, for example, has a take on the uh, title theme, and when you hear like the, or rather when you watch the opening text crawl explaining sort of the backstory of the game's world. Uh, But the one that sticks out to me the most is when you get to the fourth movement, where Kefka finally decides to take you on himself, and his theme starts to kick in. Uh, This fourth movement is a new version of Kefka's theme that you've heard previously in the game, with the first half having more of a 
rock style to it. And the second half of it goes to a much calmer, almost church hymn style with organs and instead of more of like a keyboard and guitar focus before it finally starts to ramp back up into that first rock half before the song, you know, or rather when the song starts to uh, loop around again in the fourth movement. Uh, why I'm in particular, why I'm picking Final Fantasy VI as one of my favorite endings, though, is when you get to the finale, uh, balance is restored. It's one of the main reasons why I chose Final Fantasy VI for this list and why Final Fantasy VI uh, has always stuck with me as having one of my favorite game endings. Uh, the first half of the song, which is also called Balance is Restored, uh, first half of the song also being around 11 minutes, by the way, is a medley of the 14 playable characters' theme songs. Uh, you have some more serious-sounding themes like Cyan's, uh, goofy tracks like Maganumaro's, uh, powerful takes on Edgar and Sabin's theme and Shadow's theme, and some gentle performances for Realm and Terra's themes. Uh, the character theme medley, it's just, it's just so well put together, giving each character their own moment, not only musically, but in the means to escape and help the party as a whole. Uh, you get moments like Setzer, Umaro, and Gao, helping find shortcuts and new paths inside the crumbling tower, uh, moments of reflection with Terra, Sabin, and Realm, uh, tender moments such as Celis and Locke's shared scene, and a few uh, silly moments and gags to help make progress, such as uh, probably one of my favorite parts of this particular song is Gogo's part, because of just how uh, it's such a fun take on his theme. But you also have silly moments like with Mog and Strago. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful details to this ending as well that just it really made me fall in love with this game when I first came across this ending by chance on YouTube. Uh, years ago, and it really made me want to uh, want to see, you know, what the game had to offer and what leads up to this, you know, phenomenal ending. Uh, this was back when I was uh, first starting. Excuse me, when I was first really starting to get into RPGs, thanks to Final Fantasy IV on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, you know, I was. It's it this. I think I came across this one just by chance one day when looking up. Um, Final Fantasy. I think I just mistyped the four, so I got six instead. I uh, came across this ending, and I was really blown away by it. Even though I didn't have all the context, like how the characters um, each had their own portions, how this song was just so long, and, you know, once I then played the game itself, you know, started getting a little more context on each individual character theme, on each of the characters themselves. So it, it made me appreciate the ending all the more, because before it was just like, oh, this is, you know, something kind of cool. You know, I wonder what, you know, all the backstory is for this. Uh, anyway, so after the first half of Balance is Restored, uh, the second half is just kind of your happy ending portion, you know, something you kind of expect from a Final Fantasy game. Uh, the party escapes the crumbling tower. They manage to save Terra before uh, she crashes from a last-ditch effort to um, guide the party out of Kefka's tower as it's crashing, and the world is slowly restored uh, to its old self after Kefka's reign. Uh, we have a triumphant song as the credits roll. We get the return of the Final Fantasy main theme uh, to show the the people of the world rebuilding and working together, and we get one last showcase of various locations from the game as the song comes to a nice close. So like Majora's Mask, Final Fantasy VI's ending uh, changes depending on how many characters you saved and how many side quests you did within the second part of the game. Uh, the more of the characters that you find and re-recruit to the party, uh, the more you get to see as the party works together to leave the tower. Uh, the less you have, uh, you just get bland screens of the character portrait over a landscape and sepia tone that's all you get uh i love that the ending or that the game um does uh, have a nice reward uh for going the extra mile in it and obtaining all of the characters uh as you you know progress through the second half of the game uh, it really gives a lot of the characters a conclusion to their stories and to the various party members and uh, not all of them are very happy as we see with shadow where he just decides to accept his fate if you've been following his uh 
his own side quest within the World of Ruin part of the game, the second half. But either way, it's just a nice little send-off, you know, for each character, both with their music and with um, their interactions as a whole. It's really wonderful to see this sort of thing in a Final Fantasy game, especially one like this that has such a large ensemble cast, uh, let alone in any RPG. Uh, where they do this sort of thing and give the spotlight to every playable character uh, before the credits roll (coughs) by bringing together both their theme songs and just their own little stories themselves. And that's why this particular ending has always stuck with me. Uh, One thing I do want to note before um, I end up, I uh, wrap things up here is I, uh, excuse me. I really enjoy the pixel remaster version of this song and of this soundtrack as a whole. It's really worth checking out if you are a fan of Final Fantasy VI or any of the first six games. Uh, but I wanted to give special mention to the pixel remaster version of uh, The Balance is Restored. So the song got a complete uh, orchestral overhaul for the entire 22 minutes of the piece. And it is glorious. Like, I absolutely loved listening to it when it finally popped up on YouTube. I turned it on and listened to it, and I was really blown away by just, like, that they actually went the full mile, and they did every single part of the song with live instruments and stuff. I kind of was one of those things where I thought, oh, this song is really long. They're just going to do, you know, MIDI or something. No, they they did full orchestra, gave all of the parts, um, the full instrument, um, treatment you know different characters all have different instruments kind of represent them too and they did they did just a phenomenal job it just made me love the ending piece all the more and getting to hear this in a brand new way just gave me a new love and appreciation for it because um this is a comment from somebody else who i've seen talk about the pixel remaster soundtracks um like hearing some of these like it's the way your brain originally heard them when you played the game and that's i totally agree with that because i remember first time hearing the song i was really blown away by just what was capable from a super nintendo's uh sound system and hearing the orchestral version through the pixel remaster version was just like wow this is you know just you know this is like hearing it again for the first time but at the same time in a whole new way even though it's something i i've heard so many times before and you know i absolutely love it both uh, uh, this ending i love mainly for the music and just how it really ties up everything together for all the characters gives them all their own moments to shine but how there's such a great build-up to this ending as well with your final confrontation with kefka how uh, once you save the you know you save the day the world slowly but surely is getting restored back to the way it was now that Kepka's not you know draining life from everything and for this being you know one of the last uh, Final Fantasy games on uh, Nintendo system and for the last one for the Super Nintendo itself I feel like this was a great way to uh, you know cap things off after you know how Final Fantasy four and five you know kept pushing the envelope and how six was like we're gonna take the envelope we're gonna push it even further we're gonna seal it we're gonna mail it and we're gonna make this the best day ever. <laughs> like I, I absolutely love this game's ending, especially the music side of things. Like it's, it's, it is one of my favorite tracks of all time. And um, I don't remember if we talked about it much when we did this, the first episode originally. But uh, Platy Pendy, I know you both have played Final Fantasy VI. I'm sure you have, Pendy. Uh, you guys have any thoughts and takes on the ending of VI? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you about the music. Uh, that's probably by far the best feature of these pixel remakes is this remastered redone soundtrack for all the games uh, as you point pointed out like it's just fantastic how everything sounds and it's one of the best reasons to pick up these games or at least soundtracks for these pixel remasters are just great fantastic so that's and final fantasy 6 the soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks out there for final fantasy just in just in general so yeah i love the the ending for this game final fantasy 6 is one of my favorites among the series and among rpgs in general it's great how you get to fight the final boss the music is terrific 
the artwork is terrific for his different forms and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. The ending is great. Uh, I remember the first time I, I, I beat it, I did was not patient enough to wait for Shadow, so I did not get Shadow. So he, oh no! Yeah, yeah, he, he bit he bit the big one because I was like, no, we gotta go now. So whoops, whoops in that one. <clears throat> I'm playing the uh, the Pixel remake of Six right now, so I'm thoroughly enjoying that. So I'm looking forward to getting to see the ending all all over again. So yeah, it's it's a great ending. It's just a great game. And Kefka's like he's like one of the best, you know, final bosses and and final and and uh, main bad guys antagonist in video games period he's you know he's got a he's famous for a reason among people who love jrpgs and mm-hmm. it just the way they brought it all together in the end was was great it was and then like there's the whole thing where it's like oh you think you're gonna you might you, you think it's like a typical typical jrpg where you're gonna save the day but no he the bad guy wins and he's like no i destroyed the world haha now what are you gonna do yeah so that was very interesting especially back then because that was that hadn't really been done in, in video games, I don't think, to, at that point. That was turned the whole trope on its head, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what makes the final confrontation with him, you know, such so great too. It's because you know you're fine. You know, he might have succeeded, but you're still, you know, slowly but surely throughout the second part of the game, you know, getting your forces back together. You know, getting all of these rare and mysterious items to help you fight against him. And you know, when you finally take the fight to him, and you get your party split up amongst the three groups. Uh, to make your way through Kepka's Tower, you know, and you have that, um, you have kind of that evil song, but also kind of triumphant song in his tower as well, that plays for you, kind of has mixed emotions to it, but it makes it so cool when you're making your way through there, because, you know, if you've gone, you know, the extra mile and you've gotten all the characters back and all these items and stuff, you feel like it's like, okay, well, you know, this time we're going to, you know, stop them once and for all, you know, I think that's really cool the song gives you that sort of feeling too, if you've you know, gone the extra mile for it. And I wish, Jared, I wish uh, RPGs in general would do this more, where they split up your your group into uh, different parties to do different things like this, because oftentimes you run into RPGs where you have, you get a group of eight characters and you usually are just going to use three or four the entire way, um, and they don't necessarily, not all the, not all the games will let you swap them in and out. Uh, easily, like say maybe like a Final Fantasy X where you can do that, but most of the time you can't. So you kind of kind of have to pick and choose what who you're going to use. And I always I always loved it when a game would let you use them all in different situations. Like I remember Sukaden uh, Su- Su- Two does that in the middle of the game where you're fighting this big boss and uh, you get to have different parties to take on different parts of it. And I wish no, wait, they had wait, done wait. That. counterpoint here. Counterpoint to this: hmm. Did those games level everybody appropriately? Or are you fucking stuck with B squad and C squad? They can't beat shit when you get split up. That's the problem with uh, that I see when games do that a lot of times. And I'm they, like, and oh god e- damn it! And it's easily solved because there are games that are good about that. Like Dragon Quest mm-hmm. Eleven does that. So yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And like Suikoden's Two's case, um, the leveling up works where characters who are lower leveled are going to get a lot more experience points. So. Yeah, because. There's, if you take them, to, if you take them to like the most recent area you've been to, and you let them level up a bit, they're gonna catch up with everybody in like five battles, maybe. Yeah, it's it's almost instant. It's great the way they do that because like there's other games like Platy, you, you point out, or like you'd have someone that's like 20 levels behind, and then you gotta grind mm-hmm. them forever, and that's just annoying. But mm-hmm. like like uh, like Angus pointed out in, in Sukaden 2, all you gotta do is bring them out to one of the 
more recent areas and then it's just an instant jump and, the, and you, they catch up real quick so it makes it doesn't make it that much of a pain which is great yeah i don't remember in like final fantasy 6 that there's too many times where it's like oh you know this character is just a few levels behind the others they're severely gimped they're like uh, or you know they're severely weak compared to the other ones like uh, like especially in the second half of the game where you have a dungeon where uh, you split the party into two different teams uh, by that point you can find like an item that lets you increase um how much experience points a character earns after battle by equipping it as like an accessory. Um, I, I, I know in Final Fantasy VI's case that usually enemies give off enough experience points too that if a character's a few levels behind that there's a good chance in like a battle or two they're going to level up again, you know, catch up with everybody. Because I, I don't remember in, well my experience with six that that was ever a huge problem. There's just a few times where it's like, oh, okay, I better take, you know, these characters off and, you know, let them level up for a little bit here. But yeah, but, it's, it's uh, the ending The ending for six is, is, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, tying it all back up to six's ending. <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, it, it's really, one. it's like one of my favorite endings from the series, too. Like, I, I just think that it's one of the things that really makes six stand out for me as well, is just... You know how powerful of an ending it is and just how it really i just like seeing that too where all of your playable characters get a chance to you know shine for a little bit in the ending portion because i feel a lot with rpgs where you, you might get like a bunch of different characters but it's just like eh, you know what it just whatever we don't know what happened to them they're they're probably dead somewhere who knows <laughs> all right someone who is not probably dead somewhere <laughs> since he was uh he was just uh talking with uh, Yangus about this. Pendy got a word of tonight. Hey, since we're spoiling stuff, though, sh- maybe maybe Pendy is like a Bruce Willis in the Sixth Sense. He's been dead the whole time. We just don't even know it. I see Dragon Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's funny that... Uh, this Star is going to mentioned... be the uh, Dragon Warrior portion of the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As always. God, I have a reputation to uphold. Damn it. This is oh, true. Well, wait, wait, you, you know the next two games that are getting discussed, too, though. <laughs> But uh, it, I was I was gonna say it's funny that Blue Star mentioned uh, Dragon Quest games typically not having sympathetic bad guys. When I'm actually going to be going over one of the games that actually does have one, at least relative. relative I was gonna butt Dragon in Quest. when she said no, that. Yeah, no, yeah, no, you're totally right. I yeah. I was thinking more about the game that I'm about to talk about and uh, like Dragon Quest Two and Dragon Quest Three. And- all the other ones, yeah. Yeah, all the other ones are pretty much yeah. <laughs> but like, there's on one counterpoint. There's there's a little bit of of some in eleven which we might go which I know we'll be going over later but yeah most of the time it's just this evil incarnate like ah I'm gonna destroy the world but uh, yeah uh, I'm going over Dragon Dragon Warrior and Dragon Quest four so in uh, Dragon Warrior four that's what I'm gonna go over first the original so you defeat Pissarro at the at the end of the game he's the final boss he's the bad guy it's great because. Uh, unlike a lot of games where the final ba- boss just kind of pops up out of nowhere, like you actually kind of see him and uh, throughout the game and see what, what's going on with him or hear about him and things like that. So you fight him. It's got that fantastic transformation scene for, especially for a Nintendo game, an NES game back then. Like it was the graphics for that and how they did the transformation of him morphing into his final form was was amazing. But so you beat him, and then the cliff that you're standing on, it starts to crumble away, and you're like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? Uh, I'm kind of sinking here. And then the Zenithian dragon swoops in to save you, and he takes you back to his castle, and he thanks you and tells you that, you know, he addresses all the different people and says what a good job that they did and things like that. Very interesting note, too. He's actually named uh, Master Dragon 
in Dragon Warrior 4 for, for whatever reason, instead of the Zenithian dragon that they use later on. But so you leave the castle uh, at that point after he's done thanking you, and then everything goes black, and then you get this music that comes in. Boom, 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 do, 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 do. And then you see the Zenithian castle is illuminated slowly in the background, and the music starts to pick up more, and then... You see the party, they get into the balloon that you get during the game that where you get to fly around, and the journey to return home begins. You start with uh, Alina's crew, and you see her go to her old room where her <laughs> her room gets to be repaired again after she had bursted through the wall to escape earlier, which is funny. Uh, you see Ragnar, he's going home. He gets greeted by the king and all the people celebrating what he did as a hero. You go, uh, Taloon gets reunited with his family, with his wife and his child. You see him throw his child up into the air. Uh, you see Maya and Mina, you first go to their hometown where they pay respects to their father's grave. Uh, then they travel to the town where Maya was a hit performer. And then you see Maya dancing in a packed theater supported by her sister. And then all the while they're uh, putting in, they're interspersing the different character theme songs into the ending theme as, uh, as they go along, which is nice. Kind of like what they did in 6 as well, or Final Fantasy 6 that we mentioned before. And then finally, you go back to your destroyed hometown. You go to the center of the town where you see some flowers just suddenly bloom. And behold, your childhood friend Eliza, who you thought had died sacrificing herself to save you in the beginning of the game, appears, and you have this lovely embrace between the two characters, and then the whole party comes out to greet you, and then cue the credits. It's great. And in the NES version, they even have like these little animated effects that are on all the credits as they scroll down. Very interesting until you get to the little, the end, at the end of it. And I don't usually get emotional over video games, but I do uh, sometimes over this ending. And I, I think it has a lot to do with my fond memories of playing this when I was in elementary school. Um, it just, it kind of, I well up a little bit sometimes when I watch this ending. Um, so in the remakes, they have a bonus chapter that's not in the original. You have this bonus chapter six, where the, uh, in the beginning of it, you find out that you can revive Rosa with this Yggdrasil flower. So you get the flower, you revive Rosa. She was uh, Pizarro's love, and you know she's is devastated uh, by Pizarro's transformation into what he has become. And she starts crying, and then she and when she starts crying, her tears turn into rubies, which is why uh, you know people would go after her sometimes in, in the in the first place. And the ruby tears are able to reverse his transformation and he turns back into his kind of like his dark elf form. And then that's when he learns about Amon's plot, one of his minions, his plot to trigger Pissarro by ordering her death. That's why she ends up dying is because he ordered to do it because he thought, oh, I'm going to get him really mad at all the humans and I'll do this and then he, there will be no going back. And that's in, and that part is in the original too. I had forgotten that was a little throwaway line when you go and uh, beat Amon because you have to uh, you have to fight like four mini bosses before you go to Pizarro's castle because it's it's got this uh, force field that surrounds it and you have to beat all four mini bosses and then you can enter his castle and Amon actually mentioned mentions that in the original too is like haha that was all me but so uh, the real ending or the real not the real but the the end boss becomes Amon instead of Pizarro in this uh, this bonus chapter so Pizarro will join you because once he finds out about Amon's plot and he becomes this fantastic character that you have. And so you go and you defeat Amon, who has since gotten the seeker of, of evolution himself, and he transforms into basically what Pizarro was, except it's purple. He's a, he's a purple Pizarro. <laughs> 
So after uh, beating him, uh, Pissarro will part ways with you as he thinks he will not be welcomed in Zenithia. And in his last words to you, he ponders if you will be friends or enemies when you next meet. So it's pretty cool. And then you get the same ending uh, that you did before, like in the original. The Zenithian dragon thanks you. You get the... Uh, in the remakes, there's a little bit of a difference. Instead of, like, uh, this darkness with the castle that slowly illuminates in the background, you see all these clouds of Zenithia, and then the castle kind of rises out of the clouds slowly as the music rises. So it's a little bit of a difference. And then the bonus for... Um, doing the extra chapter that's different from the original ending is that the balloon will go by and you'll see Pissarro and Rose standing side by side watching the balloon as it passes. That's their little bit that gets added to it. And uh, with the remakes, uh, they don't really do anything fancy with the credits to like they did in the original, except for like, uh, depending on what version you play, it's like the end or fin, fin, uh, and then like a little, uh, what do you call it? A uh, little, um, uh, not feather, but uh, a quill. Oh yeah, like a feather quill that draws it out in a fancy way. Uh, some people don't like the bonus chapter, but I love it. I, Pizarro as a party member is so much fun uh, to have, and I like how he becomes a bonus party member in like subsequent like Dragon Quest side games, like uh, Heroes and stuff like that. In the uh, in the Dragon Quest IV remake, he starts out at level 35 when you get him, and he gets all these tremendous spells. He gets Kazing, he gets multi-heal, he gets full heal, hatchet man, so that's good for metal hunting, lightning storm, he even gets magic burst. I mean, it's fantastic. So he's super powerful. Pizarro is personally, he's my favorite character in monster design in all of Dragon Quest. So it's great that they expanded upon him in the remakes. It's also fun, as a little side note, it's also fun to have the metal monster figures that you can get uh, from Japan and to get his and Amon's final boss form kind of side by side, the green and the purple. It's, it's cool. Uh, but what do, you, what do you guys think of uh, the endings for 4? Oh, those were good, some good stuff. Uh, I did enjoy getting to see everybody go home because um, what, like Alina's, everybody's there. Like yeah. at the end of uh, chapter two, they're all gone. Seriously, and uh, yep, and they're not there when you're playing chapter five. So it's awesome that later they're back. You, you get to see what happens. And yeah, you're a childhood friend who pretty much uh, sadly gone at the end of the uh, prologue or the the prologue to chapter five. That is dead, gone. And they're back. So, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy that ending. Hey, you and, know yeah, you're right. I've Sorrow as a playable character is pretty cool. Yeah, that is a nice little surprise. You know, it, I always took the um, the return of Rose or, or Eliza or whatever her name is for your the childhood friend for the hero. That when she just like descends from the heavens uh, after, you know, the hero gets back to his home his or her home village uh, i always took that as like the zenith dragon like somehow bringing her back to life i can see that that, that that's I, a distinct possibility I actually, I actually thought that was part of the zenithian hero power it was kind of kind of like um i, I guess we might talk about this in a second um, but kind of like how in in eleven they use the luminary power to send a certain someone back oh, that's in right. time. So right. sort of, we'll sort of about kind that, of yeah. similar like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's what he's what he's what like half Zenithian. It was yeah, like because the, the that story... descended down to with a wood that got together with a woodcutter or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the story is that the um, the hero was born from the couple of a. It's actually like the woodcutter's uh, child and the Zenithian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the two of them had a baby. Uh, both of them ended up dying. And the woodcutter is technically the hero or heroine's um, grandfather. 
which is why, you know, kind of like, how you know, fine, you can stay here, whatever. I just, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the mother did not actually die, I don't think. Um, I... Wait, she's up there in the Zenith yeah. Castle, isn't she? she? She was, she, the Zenith Dragon... I think she's got a line. her from uh, basically having any contact with humans. But if you go into, go to Zenithia... Um, talking to one of the Zenithians in the back room with the fireplace, she says something, she, she basically says the story about how, you know, a Zenithian mm-hmm. descended to Earth and fell in love with a young woodcutter, and they had a beautiful baby, and then she starts crying, oh, if she could only go see her beautiful, insert hero yep. name one more time. Mm-hmm. And you can't be like, it's me, it's me, mommy! It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, a baby! <laughs> no, you can't tell, well, you, well I mean, you probably want to, but you can't because you're the silent protagonist. And he's silent. Like, exactly. Can't say shit. So it's like. I'll have to, I'll have to go back and uh, check that out and see because mm-hmm. I'll be curious about that one. But yeah, it'd be great if you could tell your, the mom that you just give your hero like the dumbest name. It's me, Schmeagol. It's me, your son. <laughs> no better yet, name the female hero that. It's me, Schmeagol, your daughter. <laughs> it's me, Schmeagol. <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny, but thank you for laughing, Blue. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I like I like the ending of um, of Dragon Quest Four a lot. I like how there's little character moments where each of the party members get their time, um, you know, to like reunite with their families. I do like that they all showed up at the end um, after the hero went back to his his or her hometown. And just from my the way I interpret that ending too, like all of the party members showed up being not to not only be there for uh, the hero slash heroine. But also maybe to, you know, help kind of rebuild the town or, you know, to, you know, help um, the hero with, you know, like, I, I don't know. I just took it as that they all kind of showed up to help they rebuild the town or something. Or you know, yeah. yeah they, I just they, kind of took it as they were just going to try and help them rebuild or, you know, maybe, you know, just be together again just for, you know, old time's sake. You know, for that long adventure they were all on together. You know, four, 4 has my favorite soundtrack of all the Dragon Quest games. And like I said before, I love how that just like. It does it in Final Fantasy VI. I love how in the ending theme it has it's its own distinct theme, but it it cuts in the little themes that you get from the different party members mm-hmm. uh, going on. And that was a great part. That was a great part about the game is how like it didn't just have like the one walking world theme or two. It had like three or four because you had the Mara, yep. you know, the, the sisters had one, and Ragnar had one, and uh, Taloon had one, a famous one. Uh, that yep, every character has their favorite. own overworld theme. Yeah. So I mean that was that was great, especially you know for a game as old as that is back in the NES days to for for them to do something uh, that progressive uh, with the video game soundtrack was great. Mm-hmm. It's cool in the DS one and like the <clears throat> excuse me the more modern versions of four as well because you can actually uh, if you change depending on who you put at the lead of your party it will change the overworld theme back to that character's yep. uh, particular theme song from their uh, uh, respective chapters. And that also applies to uh, Pizarro too, because if you put him at the head of your party, it'll give you a rendition of his and, and Rose's theme. Mm-hmm. Like it's more of like a, a jaunty sort of song where it's like, instead of being the more like slower uh, rendition, it's a more faster, like and that's why I would love to see uh, some kind of translation for the PlayStation version as well, because they did a pretty good quality soundtrack for that version of the remake. So it'd be mm-hmm. it'd be good to have that too. Yeah, you know, I'm wasn't honestly, that announced for a Western release? 
Yeah, any day now it'll come <laughs> out. Any day. But <laughs> coming but, you know, like it'll come it'll come when uh the the global release of Keshi Keshi comes. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> oh, don't be silly. It'll come out when the global release of Dragon Quest Ten comes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but um a joking aside though. I am surprised that um, the game does not have uh, a fan translation out there yet, but there's also a few other Dragon Quest games that I know are kind of just floating in limbo and don't have one. Like, I know and that the uh, Torneco... talked to those people. Or, um, not the Torneco one, excuse me. The Yangus Mystery Dungeon game on the PS2, that one doesn't have a fan translation. Yeah, I don't even think it, it has it anybody looking... I don't, even, I don't even think it has anybody trying to work on it either. I've never that heard That might it. have been right, that exactly. and, like, the uh, first Mori Mori... Um, Sad Yangus noises. Yep. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I'm glad that there are people that are fan translating. You know, some of the games. You know, don't don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just surprised that there's still a few Dragon Quest games out there that have not gotten a fan translation, or like people trying to like a Dragon Quest Four's case, um, like reverse the. Oh, what do they call? We were just talking about that on Discord earlier, where they like reverse engineered a translation into an older version. You know? Yeah, it's just that we got four on the DS and then mobile, and then just people are like, meh. Even though, like, you know, as we got as mm-hmm. we had gotten into a previous episode, slime time episode, like there are a lot of amazing things in the PlayStation One remake two that we're missing out on. But mm-hmm. oh well, maybe maybe someday. Yeah. Well, we just got to wait for Dragon Quest Ten to come out, and then they'll probably throw four in there as well as a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of bonus, before it's to, to try to move this along. Nice bonus. Pendy, you had a bonus game that you wanted to throw in before Blue and I get talking some more uh, DQ. Oh, yeah. Put, 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 put. It's a Tecmo Super Bowl. I, you know, I'll play a season. I'll play with the Giants. I win. I win the Super Bowl. They, they tossed me the coach up in the air, and there you go. There's the ending. <laughs> Woo! I wasn't, I wasn't actually planning to talk about this, but we kept joking about it in our, our pre, <laughs> our pre, pre, pre meetings for these. Like, oh yeah, I'll do Tecmo Super Bowl. <laughs> The Giants if win the Super Bowl. If you think we talk Dragon Quest Woo-hoo. a lot, you got to count how many episodes Pendy brings up Tecmo Super Bowl. On. <laughs> Never. I, I love Never. how you say pre meetings like this is planned and meticulously <laughs> thought out. <laughs> uh, pre chitter chatter. We have locker room talks before you join in, Blue. <laughs> oh, gosh. But wait, oh, I joined the call before you this time. <laughs> no, this is, that's for the pre pre call. Okay. We don't get, you don't get the invite for that one. That's boys only. <laughs> <laughs> we put we put a sign outside the the call that says no girls allowed in very poorly written letters. <laughs> I need to find at least one other girl to do these with me. <laughs> we we basically we pull a little rascals where we just put the sign outside of the of the clubhouse no girls allowed <laughs> with a z. A few letters are backwards facing, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, our our next game here, we'll go in uh, Dragon Quest order. Um, uh, I'll let Blue go before me since hers uh, numerically comes first. Uh, and as the game uh, so nicely got put into our planning sheet, and I definitely was not paying attention and totally Googled tonight <laughs> the ending credit theme song for our next game, Hay is for Horses. Woo! My, my revenge. <laughs> It's interesting that uh, it is hay is for horses because 
A, it's the wrong hay, and B, clearly she prefers grass sandwiches to hay. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, if we're gonna be particular here, um, I'll so, defend her next time. <laughs> hay is for horses. Translates to uh, Dragon Quest Eight: Journey of the Cursed King. Because I, basically, I, I think it, Pendy went there because my favorite character is Medea. So it's, Blue talking about Dragon Quest Eight. What? Yeah, Dragon Quest. That? Dragon Quest Eight needs to show up on Slime Time sometimes. I'm always here. What are you talking about? <laughs> We're here. Where's Liam? Liam. <laughs> Liam. Yeah, come here, Liam. Come on, there, boy. It's like noon. It's like noon his time. Why can't he getting together? Wakey, wakey, <laughs> eggs and bakey, buddy. <laughs> so the ending to Dragon Quest Eight is probably, you know, Dragon Quest Eight is still my favorite video game of all time. Um, my favorite character is Medea. Is it really surprised that this is one of my top picks? No. Okay, moving on. There are a lot of good things that come into light at the end of this game. After you beat the final boss, you finally get to see Trode's real face that he's been hiding from you the entire time because he <laughs> refuses to drink from the mystical spring. You also get a connection to Dragon Quest III through Ramia. <laughs> DI is my favorite game understatement of the decade. Shut up, Yangus. <laughs> um, and honestly, even, even though the connection to Dragon Quest III was probably a big thing for a lot of fans, it was a long time before I played Dragon Quest III and even got the reference. So understanding that this is still a great ending, even if you don't necessarily get that reference, says a lot. Um, the best part of the ending is absolutely sticking it to Charnels in the mm. post-game when you rescue Medea from having to marry him. Um, but that was also kind of a nice little sort of difference from the normal victory tour that you get after the Dragon Quest game. Because um, I know, you know, we just talked about in Dragon Quest IV, I know it does it in Dragon Quest VI, where you basically fly around to all of, you know, the characters' hometowns, and you see them basically just coming home and greeting, you know, whoever's waiting for them there, or like, starting out on whatever comes next. The interesting thing about Dragon Quest VIII is you don't see that initial going home, but you instead sort of see where the characters are at after, you know, several months. It's not a long time lapse, but it's enough where Yangus has gone into business with Red. And, you know, they're totally in love with each other. <laughs> Jessica finally made things right with her mom and Angelo is up to Angelo things. Um, but, you know, the, the whole royal wedding that, you know, has sort of been alluded to throughout the entire game. It, it takes place, and you totally ruin it because it shouldn't be taking place in the first place. Uh, so yes, the end, the, the basic ending is very satisfying. However, but wait, there's more. Um, the Dragovian Sanctuary post game is easily my favorite part of my favorite game. It really is a mysterious place. It's really just kind of cool. There are people who turn into dragons. That's awesome. How could you not like that? Plus, finding out the origin story of the hero, you know, finding out all of those weird things of, like, how he came to be in Trodane, why he wasn't affected by the curse, why even in, even with curses, you know, in-game, he just, you know, brushes it off, like nothing happens. Mm -hmm. You find out reasons for 
all of those things. Why can Munchie breathe fire? Why has a mouse lived much longer than the normal lifespan for a mouse? All of those things and little, you know, things that could be seen as inconsistencies, they're answered at the end. So it really does come full circle, which was another thing that I liked about the Tales of Grace's ending. Um, you also get to hear the incredibly romantic, albeit tragic, story of Shia and Eltrio, and you get to stick it to Charmels again, while also getting the girl, while also for fulfilling your grandparents' wishes. So you get to do all of the things that, you know, are sort of, you know, the, the, the family duty theme that, you know, is persistent throughout the game. You get you get to do all of that while making the characters happy in the end. Yeah, but I think the real question here is when are they going to do a version of this game where Prince Charmels is the one who gets to marry Medea in the end? But this is this message brought to you by the Prince Charmels did nothing wrong group. Thank thank you. Prince Ouch. Charmels is the best character of the game. I Ouch. simply cannot abide that man. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, I I gotta I gotta save real quick. Like, as as nice as it is that there's like the alternate ending you can do where you know it's like a official sort of um, uh, marriage for the hero and uh, Medea. I really like how in the default ending that uh, the king, I forget his name, he just totally rips into Charmels and finally calls him out for all his bullshit. Yeah, I, I love the way he delivers that line too. He's like. Enough of your lies! I know the truth, and he pulls out the real Argon heart. <laughs> yeah, I think he still rips into him in the the quote-unquote true ending. Another thing that is actually really interesting, and another thing that sort of comes full circle, and that you don't pick up the first time you play the game, but any time after you do, the first time that you walk into Argonia and meet with King Clavius, he like his heart literally stops and he looks at your party and his chancellor's like, are you okay, sir? And he's like, I'm fine. One of them just reminded me of someone. Mm-hmm. And you play it the first time and you're like, oh, whatever, okay, that's cool. But the, nec- the, the, the second time and every time after you play it, you're like, oh, he sees his brother, which I just think is really cool. Yeah, first time playing it, I'm like, okay, that definitely had to just mean some. That seems like a weird throwaway thing. So then it just became a point of like, when's this going to come back? I didn't think it was going to happen until the, it wasn't going to happen until you beat the game, though. But either way, it was like, aha, there's the clue for it. <laughs> I was a stupid kid when I played it the first time, so I totally didn't even notice that it happened. <laughs> yeah, one more, how old were you when you first played this one, Blue? Because... I know we've all kind of played this game at different points. Uh, Do you remember? I I don't know exactly how old I was, but I was probably around 10, maybe 9. Yeah, what was it? I played this one in 2012, so I was like 17, 18 at the time. But from having played some other Dragon Quest games before it, I was like, okay, that seems like a weird thing for them just to say in the dialogue without me anything. So, was this your this was your first Dragon Quest game, correct? Yep, it was kind of my first console game. Period. Okay, I know first you told RPG us that this was for... one of your first uh, games that you had played, and um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But I mean, eight's a good one to start with if you're a new fan too, because I know a lot of people, um, both from friends that I know and just from having read other stuff online, that a lot of people who started with eight will be like, oh yeah, that game, you know, really helped open my eyes to. You know, the rest of the series or to other RPGs as a whole and, you know, kind of get out of um, the 
usual uh, suspects kind of group where like, you know, they kind of checked out some other RPGs that might not be as big a name, you know? Yeah. I think Dragon Quest Eight was that way for a lot of people too, especially in the PS2 era. Yeah. And, you know, the 3DS version did a lot of good things. I know not everybody is going to agree with me, but I don't really like that they opened it to where you can marry Jessica instead. Um, yeah, that that felt. I, I'm with man, you on that. That felt yeah, kind of forced. About that. That, that, yeah, that. it felt it felt really forced, especially considering one of the other things that they added was a scene where Jessica literally wakes up and sees the hero as her brother. Uh, it's just all kind of a little, kind of a little bit creepy. Welcome to Japan. But <laughs> there's, there's so I'll be some... I'll be the one person that defends it. I, I liked it as a little bonus thing, and I thought it was hilarious how like at the the ending, probably the best part about it is to see Bangers and Mash again. And at some point, like Bangers is like warning you as a hero, like, oh, you better treat her well. And he calls you Mr. Jessica, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, and the scene that you're talking about. With the, with the brother, like, so there's, like, this nice tag after the credits where she kind of explains to you how she saw you in a different light after being freed, uh, after you freed her from Rapthorn's curse and how she could, she knew she could rely on you kind of like how she relied on her brother. That's where she made that connection. Uh, after kind of seeing him, seeing the hero as a, somewhat of a pushover at first when they meet them. And then they establish that, oh, hey, you got a house together and, and near or in her hometown and they, they, they have like a big sweeping uh, view of the of the area from there, and that's the end of the game. But I thought it was a nice little bonus to to be able to have. I want it's obviously not canon to the game, and I just thought it was a nice little extra. I liked it. Okay, I guess I guess uh, it's it's kind of like two D version of Dragon Quest Eleven. I guess I guess the fact that it exists isn't you know a bad thing. And like Bendy's <laughs> uninvited from DQ episode. <laughs> <laughs> That made too much sense. Screw that. <laughs> Screw that ending. I yeah. So I I love that two D mode in Dragon Quest Eleven exists. However, it's just not as good as the three D version. So the Jessica ending is just not as good as the Medea ending. No, I'm not gonna like. Yeah, it's just like the two D version. Like I'm not gonna go ahead and be like, you know what? You should start with the two D version of Dragon Quest Eleven, yeah. uh, unless you're unless you're the kind of person that's like super old school and has to have like uh, what do you call it? Um, not random encounters. Random so, encounters. so you're so you're you're speaking about brewery, and then is what you're telling us. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired, but right. and he'll never know. No, he probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I can get where you're coming from with your comment too blue because you know just just to quickly talk about it like there's a new scene in the 3ds version where they address um marcello and i really just i don't like that scene i it exists but i just don't care for it and i i i think i've talked i think we've talked about this yeah we, and i we've, do disagree with you on that one you can disagree all you want but i feel the way you feel about the jessica ending <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's getting uninvited from the DQ8 episode. <laughs> yep. yep. This is why we don't have a DQ8 it, episode. That, that's, <laughs> we're not going to talk about the, those things. We'll, we'll just, we'll, how about we just all agree now? Just make a, a gentleman slash gentlewoman agreement. We don't talk about those parts. Oh, the shit. I already cut my hand episode. open. I thought we were doing a blood oath on that. <laughs> wow. Blood oath, spit oath. 
Damn it! Everything. Oh, but yeah, I should have. Spent are we gonna tell? Are we gonna better. tell Liam about this agreement too, or is he just gonna awkwardly well, well, bring it up and then we all ignore him? You know what? If he brings it up, we'll and just moving on to the next like, question. I don't know what you're talking about? <laughs> oh, but what? To bring it to bring it back. That to the was ending, actually in the game. What? Sure? What? I don't remember that. But to bring it back to the ending, I love the big reveal about how Munchie is actually your grandfather. Oh, that yes. was oh yeah. That's yeah. That's that's great. And then and if how you he play... gave up his whole life because he wanted to follow all that he had left of his daughter. It's just, I'm a sucker for a good romance, and the whole yeah. the whole thing about all of it is super romantic. <laughs> I love it too when you hear the backstory. Like for one, you see how his picture is so much better than every other character's, and even the game calls it out because I think it's Angelo or Jessica in the party chat afterwards that'll be like, "Did you guys notice that?" Um, Chen Mui's picture was a lot better detailed than everyone else's picture. <laughs> Anyone else catch that? <laughs> I no. think it's Angelo that calls him out on that, and he's just like, I see he's a little full of himself, isn't he? And that's coming from me. That's an Angelo like, what specialty. Is this? What this is this is in the this is in the the story you hear about um, the mother and father and how oh, Chen Mui, okay. it's Chen Mui telling the story of what happened. And he does it with the hero like, was cast out of the cards. of the Dragovian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, his his picture is a lot more detailed than everyone else's. So. Angelo, it's like, does anybody else notice that? <laughs> I also love how Chen Mui is an anagram of Munchie. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or maybe Munchie's an anagram of Chen Mui. <laughs> ha ha ha. But um, <laughs> I think one of my favorite parts of the of the default ending you can get is when Medea, you know, she runs off. Um, the hero chases after him, too. And the other party members are trying to stop the guards. I love it when you get down to uh, just before you exit, like where the Savella Cathedral exit is, <laughs> that it shows King Trode fighting off all these armed guards with nothing but a stick. It's like that, <laughs> like the eyes dying laughing first time I saw that. Because I'm like, of yes. course, Trode, finally, for all of his bluster for just how good of a swordsman and fighter he is, we actually get to see it. And he's beating them off with a stick. <laughs> it's like, and then it was, somehow it was so he perfect. still beats you to the carriage. I know it's it's so great. Like he's he's got to have like secret father. tunnels all over the land or something. You know, yeah, the character, secret, the secret king tunnels. <laughs> yeah, the character moments in this game are fantastic because so, they have such good characters. In, in right, yeah, and, <laughs> I just and, love it too. That just for all that bluster of him telling you what a good fighter he was, he actually was being serious. <laughs> it's just with the <laughs> stick. <laughs> It's like, man, they should have just made that like a cypress stick just to be like, oh, you know how it's just like the first weapon of the game. You know, it's pretty bad and everything. Well, look what it can do in the right hands. <laughs> yeah, and that, uh, that post-game dungeon for the 3DS version, like the post-game, post-game, like those bosses are absolutely... Oh, the boss rush one. Oh, yeah, Memories yeah. Lane. Yeah, that Memories place is freaking difficult. Like, I could take on a few of them by myself, but most of them I needed a guide. And that's when your two bonus characters that you get in the remake, how you get Red and Mori, they, they are very... Very important to have those in your party to more easily take those bosses down. They be, it's they, also I I found myself uh, switching characters out left and right mm-hmm. um in those fights and uh I think I think when we get to Platy's next game we're also going to talk about how we're all bad fans but I'm a bad fan <laughs> and I never actually beat Memories Lane. <laughs> oh, I don't blame you. Me neither. No, that's a that's a very tough. It's uh, it's road very across. difficult. I'll yeah. tell you the reward is actually really cool if you can do it. But holy crap, it's it's definitely it, 
I really enjoy it because I feel like sometimes Dragon Quest games are way too freaking easy. So the fact that they have this challenge that just makes you really think and try and strategize and figure out ways yeah. to take down these bosses, I absolutely love it. But I also like RPGs that have you do that sort of thing. Yeah, level 99 means nothing to a lot of those bosses. Mm-hmm. Like The only way you can overpower them is to seed farm. And there was no way I was going to do that because that, that takes forever. So I just I used yeah. the guide for a lot of those. Yeah. It definitely becomes a game, too, of where uh, you want to use status ailments and things you wouldn't normally think of to use. Mm-hmm. Like, poison is really good on some of those bosses because it can whittle down their health, you know, very quickly. Like, it takes off, like, 999 points of damage a lot, you know, really quick. Or, or per activation of poison, which, you know, in some RPGs it might not be much, but in Dragon Quest, that's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a... 999, that's a big number to get for damage. Huh. But, uh, yeah, it's... I mean, they're super hard, though, so it definitely comes down to you. I always forget that poison is a thing. I always forget that poison poison kills people. Yeah, (laughs) status effects? What are those? I was was the person playing Pokemon in uh, damage moves only. (laughs) Oh, oh, definitely. Yep, I'm playing through Ultra Sun right now. I got no freaking poison, paralyzed, nothing. I barely got room for false wipe. It's... I, I really enjoyed the memories lane thing, and but you know if I, I'm platy, I'm sure can you know attest to it too because of all some of the stuff I do in other RPGs I play. But oh yeah, um, some of the challenge stuff like that, like I, it's like with um, Dragon Quest Eleven where they have the stronger enemies option. Like as someone who just kind of likes a bit more difficulty to it or just wants to you know get a bit more of a challenge to it, you know. I really appreciated that they added in this bonus dungeon that's like, hey, you want to fight some really powerful bosses? Well, here you go. Let's see if you can get to the end. (laughs) So what is the reward for getting to the end? What's the cool reward? So when you get to, well, first off, the boss that you actually fight at the very end is just like, oh, that's pretty cool. I think um, I said it. Yeah, it's uh, you get to fight old, good old Estark himself, who is just crazy powerful. Like even <laughs> like I, the I worst version that, of Estark. Yeah, it's pretty much like one of the best versions of Estark in a game. Uh, your reward for beating him is you get a bunch of like stat seeds. Uh, you get a special new, um, what is it? A new accessory item that permanently oomphs a character, and you can then oomph them again to make their damage even higher. <laughs> and um then of course your goal is you know the faster you beat him the better the the seed reward is like i think if i remember right when i when i originally beat him it was like 10 seeds of skill um some other random seeds and then the armament that you get and then you know he just is like okay well now you have to leave i'm tired go away shoot (laughs) but it's pretty much he's tired all right Mm mm-hmm but it's pretty much like, you know, you beat it the hardest challenge, so you get this really awesome uh, accessory that you can use to go terrorize anything else you want or to go refight the bosses of Memories Lane, see how fast you can beat them. You know, it's at, you know, at that point of the game, it's just sort of a, you know, fun reward for you to go use however you want to because, you know, you've beaten the strongest things in the game, so you're, you know, pretty much done at that point. But it's it's fun to get that because then you can just really see what sort of crazy sorts of damage you can do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's not always my thing. I was it was fun. I liked being able to to beat beat him and and do that challenge. But it's like one of those things with a lot of different like final bonus bosses, post game things where it's like, hey, here's the strongest sword in the game. Well, okay, but I just beat You're you. Done. You're the yep. strongest thing in the game. So what am I going to do with this? Go <laughs> use it on the fucking yeah. slime. That that's one of the things where I wish that more Dragon Quest games had like New Game Plus for those sorts of things. Like Dragon Quest Eleven S kind of has that with how the the transition from three D to two D mode works because you can sort of use that as New Game Plus. Um, 
But like in Dragon Quest VIII's case, uh, it would have been cool if they would have had that where like, oh, you beat S-Stark, you know, you get all this stuff. And now if you, you know, go beat the game and, you know, go see what happens now on the title screen, you know, then it's like, hey, look, new game plus. <laughs> yeah. Take all or your th- accessories and stuff with you. Or, or throw in something funny like what uh, was it? Six? Where where um, Nocturnus was it Nocturnus in five or six? Uh, six. six. Yeah, because six. six when you beat him fast enough, he's like, OK, well. What do you want me to do? You want me to beat up the bad guy? Sure, <laughs> I can do that. No problem. Yeah, he goes yep. beat, and he goes and, and, and kicks the ever-living crap out of the, the final boss. And it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's, Makes it so worth that's it. probably one of the like the coolest rewards from a Dragon Quest game, too, for beating it, the, it like, the bonus boss like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just love it, too, how Mortimer, uh, before we move on, just how Mortimer, when you just show up out of nowhere, he's just like, wait, what? He, he has that real, like, because, you know, he, by default, he looks like an old man. And he has that old senior moment where he's like, what? Where'd you yeah, come from? What are you what doing it? on my lawn? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, transitioning from that, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to talk about Dragon Quest Eleven. Nope. All right. Well. <laughs> just, uh, we're just going to end the episode there. I'm not even going to talk We're just going to end the episode. The end. The end. The end. All right. Um, so continuing on with our uh, Dragon Quest portion of the show, God forbid we uh, talk about anything else on here, but, you know, talking about endings, uh, this one played into what my other two I talked about, um, you know, couldn't care less about Robot Girl and the Lua, Bravely Default 2, hey, you were born to uh, end that and die, awesome, cool. Well, Dragon Quest Eleven took the same kind of idea, and I, probably because I'm a huge-ass Dragon Quest fan, I, I, I felt differently about it. So, Dragon Quest Eleven, the fans, for years, we've talked about how it's it's played out in three acts. Act 1, you, you're the hero, you, um, you gather up a party, you get to the center of the world, the Yggdrasil tree, you know, you're reaching out for the super sword, um, but Rainbow oh shit, bridge. you know, the what? Rainbow Bridge. The Rainbow Bridge. And uh, shit, you know, Morgan's there. And he's in the body of King Carnelian and blows the shit out of the tree. And like, what, half the world, a third of the world, the people are all dead. And it's just a really like, oh, damn moment at the end of the first part of uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, And then Act Two, you, you're kind of going through the destroyed world, doing um, a lot of the similar things again, trying to find your party member, trying to figure out what's going on um and towards the end of this you you're getting the party back together and oh shit veronica's dead you can't get her back veronica has sacrificed herself to save everyone else um i love that serena gets all her powers um i think i've talked up act to serena so much and i hear her talked about on like dqfm and other dragon quest people love serena um ultimate sage of the games there and you beat up mortigan the world is great and cool you know you you beat the game one little caveat you know about a third of the world is dead destroyed veronica's dead um you know maybe this wasn't the best possible outcome but this is the end of the game credits roll and you can leave it right there and Maybe if this was an Atelier game or a Bravely Default game, maybe I would have. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, uh, evidence evidence is out there that I probably would have. So, <laughs> including 20 minutes of talking earlier than this episode. But Act 3 in Dragon Quest Eleven is what a lot of us fans just really love. It, it, it It's this whole 
going back in time, going into another, uh, you know, it, it gets fuzzy. Is it a parallel time? Are you breaking the time stream? Are you erasing people from existence? Um, but who the hell cares? Because you're saving Veronica. So, um, you know, you go back in time. You know everything that's going to happen. So you get that same moment. You're getting that same cutscene there in the Yggdrasil tree. But you're ready for it. And you, boom, you, you, you can defeat Mordigan. Um, you can rescue King Carnelian. And all seems right with the world. Now, I like the twist that they put on it. Because in Act 2, you witness Mordigan. Um... What is it? The big thing up in the sky? Oh, it's so and so's tear, Collapse. isn't it? Erdrick's lan Erdwin's lantern. The lantern, yeah. yeah. Lantern. And yep, that's what you see up in the sky. But really, yeah, as uh, Yangus just said, it's Kalasmos. I mean, you don't know it then, but you know, in Act Two, you watch Mortigan go out into the sands of the desert, blow the shit out of the thing in the sky, and like, okay, well, that happened. Um, but as you find out in Act 3, that was actually kind of important because, hey, you know what's worse than uh, Mortigan destroying a bunch of the world? Well, Klasmo's coming and destroying the whole world. So that puts you on, you know, the world is not perfect. You do need to go do some stuff um, and get up and destroy Klasmo's. And I, I loved that. I loved that this was an alternate thing, but I, it wasn't a, as we were saying, you know, a lot of Dragon Quest bad guys can't be redeemed uh Saro excluded here but they didn't go with a route like oh mortigan was really doing a great thing eh you know what he was substituting one thing for another and sure there's another bad guy mortigan was still bad himself so there's a whole nother calamity it adds to the game it's not just hey you're redoing the same thing um you've got a full gosh what is it 20 30 hours you could be playing to do this and take on Kalasmos and really take on a completely different threat to the world than what was going on the first time. So it just thinking back on it, I'm like, you know, I, I have a hard time, as Blue is saying, I haven't played all the way through Dragon Quest XI-S um, because I wanted to do it in the 2D mode, and I I think I need to put that, that fantasy aside. <laughs> I'm not going to get all the way to Kalasmos playing 2D. That's just a hell of a lot of game to play in 2D. Um, I made I made the, uh, the the deal with myself that I would play until the end of Act 2 in 2D mode and then switch mm. to 3D mode for uh, Act 3. Act 3. However, <laughs> how far did you get? I, I am I am fighting Mortigan and I am stuck on him because of oh, all the draconian oh. things I have turned oh. on. <laughs> so, <laughs> namely, so you handicap yourself. Namely, if the protagonist dies, it's game over. Um, uh, so you're playing by Shin Megami Tensei rules. Yeah. <laughs> we're playing uh, Dragon Quest let's, Eleven let's, Persona. Let's not forget the other big twist of Act Three, where we find out that Mordigan is actually one of Erdwin's companions. Correct. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, it fills in a lot of mysteries by being able to do Act Three, which I really appreciate. Like. You get to find out who the seer is, the mysterious yeah. seer who kind of helps you along. And you find out that it's Mortigan's like good side because he kind of split himself between his his good side and his evil side. It's mm -hmm. very interesting. So you, you see a little more a sympathetic angle to him. But yeah, you find out find out that backstory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, th yeah, this was one that I got a lot of enjoyment out of playing. Um, you know, reading up on my other two games, I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. I could have done that, but didn't care. This one I cared about, and I really had a great time. 
Yeah. So I know you guys already chimed in, but what else about Act Three? I mean, the the ending is just is so amazing. How you get to uh, meet the the Yggdrasil dragon and Yggdragon. dragon. Ig Dragon and Ig Dragon's like, hey, guess what? You are Erdrick, and it connects it all to Dragon Quest one through three. And you get the the nice little, you know, you see the the hero. They show the hero of the Dragon Quest one of Dragon Quest one posing, and then like the very end of it, uh, they animate the 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 beginning scene of Dragon Quest three where you're the hero and you're waking up and your mom comes to get you, and she has the book. That's the story of Dragon Quest Eleven, and she puts it into the bookshelf, and so it connects everything. And I love how the, it's the 11th ending book, isn't it? Yeah, and yep, I love how the the ending credits it shows scenes from all of the Dragon Quest games leading up to this one. It shows scenes yeah. from one and two and three and four, and and, and that's, it has this I really cool it. transitional um, logo too, where it changes into the Japanese yeah. logos of all of the first ten games. It's yeah. it's pretty cool actually. Um, uh, Woodus or Woodus uh, actually made a GIF of all the transformations in one um, seamless animation. So mm-hmm. uh, if you ever want to see that for yourself, you could probably hit him up and he'd be happy to give that to you. It's really cool actually seeing that and how that he was able to, you know, put that together for people to have. Cause I, I still have that saved on my phone and it's kind of cool watching it just, uh, just to see, you know, how they did that and how they handled that animation process for uh, the logo changing into each of the different Japanese logos. Because they're like when I we're saying that too, it's like shows the original versions of those logos too, like what would have been on each game's original um, release on the various systems throughout the years, and not based on like any of the remake takes on their logos, where it might clean them up a bit or you know kind of modernize it to look a bit more like current logos from the series. Like it's like the like the, with the Dragon Quest three one for example, it gives it the look of like the Dragon Quest part of it is the I don't know what that's called on the sword. But it's right above where you would grab, where you are like holding the sword itself. You know the that hilt. little like long, the hilt part. Is that what that's called? Maybe. Yeah, where it's like so. like your hand would like it would like rest on your hand and the blade sticks up. Anyway, it it has that sort of look. Like it goes back to like the original logos. And you know, from someone who like likes looking at that old box art, it was really cool to see that that they mm. you know they went back and did like the originals. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and then to find out that the timekeeper is actually Serenica, uh, that and, and to find out her tragic backstory and and how that ended up happening, where like you know when Mortigan like betrays everyone and she's like trying to to save people, save it all, and she ends up becoming the timekeeper, and then you were able to set her free, and she gets to go and and go go meet uh, Erdwin uh, that. In the afterlife is, is great. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really, really cool. There's a lot of really nice elements to that ending where you get to where a lot of cool stuff is revealed. Yeah, it all comes full circle. Yeah, I liked how with um this actually this one also goes back to the very beginning of the game too. Um, I liked how because when you when you first start playing Dragon Quest Eleven, there's the opening cut scene where it's like the little yeah. uh, what looks like a time spirit like walking through. Little uh, what used to be, um, gosh, what God, what Dundrasil, Thank you. Uh, what used to be Dundrasil. and I remember when first seeing like the Japanese version being played and seeing that, I'm like, okay, it's a little weird that there's one of these things that's like constantly walking around, and um, you know, it just it's it's different than all the other ones we've seen from promotional footage and stuff. Like, there's got to be you know some sort of significance to it. Then in Act Two, when playing the game uh, properly, uh, once it came out uh, over here in the states. Uh, getting into Act 2 and seeing um, 
I love how the hero just watches the little black spirit of Kalasmos just walking casually over Rab like he's not even there. <laughs> like that was super funny. Um, like him pop- popping up and showing up at that at that uh, little cutscene there in the desert was just like okay, like so this is the little guy from the beginning of the game. What's yeah, you know what's this all deal. about? I loved how they just they built it up just enough that it kept that mystery to it. Like what like what is this character? You know what's this all about? And then they really delivered it with um, you know his power and his presence. Uh, unfortunately, he's got a really dumb baby face when he loses his mask, but um, he still has a nice build up to. You know, that confrontation with Kalasmos that, you know, I I really appreciated that and how they just kept, you know, they gave you enough details, but they still left a lot in the dark, you know, mm-hmm. until finally they had the big reveal. And it's just like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> kind of along the same lines as uh, the Dragon Quest Eight curse immunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm, I'm very much a fan of um, storytelling where they give you like just enough details to give to keep the mystery fresh. But then eventually they finally are like, okay, now you're going to get to find out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think that that's um, a storytelling thing that Dragon Quest games uh, do pretty well for the most part from the yeah. examples that we've talked about tonight. And from, I think there's some in Dragon Quest 7 too. There's <sighs> the birthmark. Yes. Yes. Thank you. There was the one with the hero and his birthmark. Like that was another one that I thought was a uh, like a first, you know, first time playing the game. You don't really get to see that as much, but when you play like the 3ds version that hit a lot more, it's like, Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love, yeah. I love how this game, like it, it starts out as like a traditional, dragon quest game in terms of the plot like oh we're gonna collect all these orbs and we're gonna get to the yggdrasil tree and here's here's the the reference to the rainbow bridge from the the first game and we're gonna use it even though it looks really really annoying to walk on (laughs) (laughs) well they said it's just the it's the it's the wacky version of the bridge it's like one of those wacky straws you can get as a kid (laughs) and then you get there and then mortigan's like nope uh uh-uh this is not what you think it's gonna be here's here's uh Here's what we're really going to do. And then do. you wake up as a fish. Actually, yes. that's something that Fantastic. I think the definitive edition sort of takes away from. Yeah. Because you spend all of that time, you know, following the party members' stories. But but honestly, the transition from everybody being dead, like, like just unconscious in Yggdrasil's The World is Falling Apart to fish, it was so jarring. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I can, like, yeah, because I understand fun, why yeah. they put the side stories there, but I also think, like, for a first playthrough, mm-hmm. it takes it, it detracts from it a lot. And no, that's I, part of the I reason why it's such a shame that you can't get the original version anymore. Oh, yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you on that, Blue, because like when I played the definitive version, you know, I, I had platinum the original PS4 release, uh, yep, got through same. all that, played the um, got to the Switch version and then got to that part. And I was starting to wonder, like, OK, when are these you know scenes going to show up? They kind of look like they were in the second half of the game. I definitely was kind of taken aback by the fact that you play them all at the very start of Act 2 before you even get a chance to play as the hero. And when you finally get to the hero, it's like, man, for a first time player, like it kind of removes the mystery of like, you know, what happened to the party? You know, yeah. did, are they did they survive? You know what happened? You know, where are they at? I I've, I've talked about this before, like on the Dragon's Den and some other places, too. But I really wish that for that new content, um, like for the new side stories, I wish that they would have left those for uh, after you reunited with the characters 
and like when you were at the campsites, if they were like, oh, you know, um, you know, this sort of thing happened to me on my when I was by myself, or oh, or like in Savannah, was like, oh, darling, you won't believe, you know, what <laughs> happened to me uh, when we were separated from one another. You want to hear my story? You know, have them sort of yeah. set up like that, where it's something where you know you could um, choose to do them, because I think that's how they handled um, Hendrix in Act Three. Because he does have a new little story, too, where his is more of a, you can go and do what? it if you want to, but you don't have to. Spoiler alert. Oh, wait, yeah, it's a spoiler alert. podcast, and you know what you're getting into. <laughs> Hendrix, what? Hendrix a party member? What? Well, no. Hendrix no, the, spoiler, the, the spoiler is yeah. that there is a thing of for Hendrix in Act 3 of the Definitive Edition, because I have not gotten there. <laughs> Yeah, oh, no, no, no. There, I'm just... there is one. They, they, um, it was one of the things they teased with uh, the trailers of the definitive version, where it's like a, he confronts someone, and that, that, that's all I'll say, just to kind of leave things in the dark for you. But there, there is another scene with Hendrick that you can do for, uh, like there's his own not little one side for quest. Veronica and Serena. No, there's not. That's for some dumb. reason, Serena doesn't get one at all. That's Veronica, dumb. I can kind of understand why she wouldn't get one, just because you know what happens. Yeah, yeah. Kind of after three starts, but yes, yeah, Serena does not get one. Like, well, I guess she, she kind of no, she doesn't get a backstory for what she was doing that whole time. But it could have just been she was like, oh, I'm just going around healing people. That's it. You know, it, they could have felt like there wasn't enough to tell there or nothing to show. Serena's the most interesting character. I would have totally been okay with just going around to heal people. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it would have made more. It would have given. I mean, if they could give Jade some screen time and all hers is just, I'm gonna fight people. Bleh. <laughs> they could have shown I'm gonna Serena fight going people around. and then get possessed. Yeah, they could have shown I, Serena going around like I'm gonna heal people. Bleh. <laughs> I guess they didn't want to like go ahead and ruin her reveal too. Maybe, but I mean, they could have done it. They could have done something afterwards. Uh, as like a I, I don't know with how they did all the other side story things too. It's just like I, had, I mean, you could have thrown Serena a bone there or something. But maybe Is they her? figured they didn't need to because of her big cut scene in Act Two that happens once the yeah. party reunites with her, and you know, you get back to our. Um, Arborea, but um, yeah, like I, I'm uh, going back to what we were talking about, Blue. I am in agreement with you though on how they handled that. Like it, it was good. It was cool seeing some of that stuff, and you know, just to see a bit more of the characters. But I kind of wish, like placement wise, they had not done it at the beginning of Act Two and just let you get into uh, fish mode <laughs> first, yeah, and yeah. then let you like see those cutscenes. Activate um, fish mode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Activate fish mode. But I did. <laughs> I did really like playing as the other characters because I had um, Super Shy Pox on. So seeing all of the things that like the other characters get nervous about when you're just like talking to people. You know, one of Silvando's is like, but he suddenly thinks about how every single person and every single thing in Erdria is so adorable and he can't stop crying. <laughs> yeah, Rabs was definitely my favorite of all of them, though. Like, I felt so bad for the poor guy. Oh His my was God. like the most sad and tragic. Anything sure. anything dealing with Dundrasil's backstory is so well written in Dragon Quest Eleven. Oh, yeah. Poor, and I gotta give major props to Rabs' voice actor, too, because he does such a great job uh, delivering Rabs' lines and really makes you feel for the poor guy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I unfortunately don't know the name of the actor who played Rab in the game, but major shout out to him. Like he really went above and beyond to help bring Rab to life as a character. So you know, kudos to him. I was always impressed on how well the the voice actors did in Dragon Quest Eight and Dragon Quest Eleven. Like we we got lucky with some quality voice actors mm-hmm. um, to play those parts. And even so a lot of people, I I don't know, but a lot of people, some people like to 
some people will complain about the new actress for Jessica, but I thought she was really good too. Um, and so, they couldn't get, you know, and they couldn't yeah. get the, the other one because the other one retired. Like she was no yeah, longer. Yeah, she so. she uh, I believe she got married and retired. Exactly. Yes. Like that. Mm-hmm. So my opinion on the new voice actress for Jessica. I think she does really well about, you know, basically after you get the full introduction of Jessica, but I feel like a lot of the cadence that, you know, with Jessica's letter at the beginning and when she's talking to Alistair, I feel like she changed some of the cadence and made it feel a lot less impactful mm-hmm. for the beginning. Once you get past yeah, the beginning, a- it's all it's all pretty it's all pretty good and pretty fine and you know her work in the heroes games is absolutely great yeah. but just mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's just a few i'd have to agree with that there's just a few times where her like enunciation or how she delivers certain lines and stuff is just like eh, yeah that one did sound a little better in the original but I, I think for the most part though she did a pretty good job with um you know especially for taking over the role of the character from somebody else but hey you know what we got to keep we got to keep or we got to keep Ricky Glover as Yangus and that's all we needed baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would, that no would one be else much, could do it no way no, could <laughs> there's only there I it's funny I don't use Twitter but I just happened to find his Twitter account one time and if anytime somebody says oh man I really loved you in Dragon Quest 8 or Dragon Quest Heroes as Yangus he always replies to that tweet with core blimey when you get contracted to do that you know he sat in a room recorded those lines in like one week and here we are 15 years later still co- complimenting it you, oh you gotta god, have that been, response 17 years <laughs> 17 oh my god i was just a boy playing that game 17 years ago i was gonna say yeah it like if somebody came up to me and like, you like, just said you played it in 2012 hey, it was 10 years ago, but it felt like 17. I was 17 at the time, so I think I got that mixed up in my head. But 17, 18, but either way, Blue, shut up. <laughs> it felt like 17 years ago. But that's crazy, though. That's like joking aside. That is crazy that that game is um, already that old. That's crazy. It doesn't even seem like the played. PS2 era was that long ago. So, Pendy, like, th- think about that. Like, because... You and I have 17 years of work experience. Like, if somebody came up to you and was like, hey, man, remember back in 2005 when you did that thing that one time? That was great. Loved you doing that. Love that presentation you gave back in 2005. What presentation? I did a presentation. Exactly. <laughs> what? So, you know, at, least you guys are the core, it, it, at least he's got the core blimey to go back on. Yep. And thanks and thanks for giving me only 17 years when when really my, my current job has been a whole 21 years. <laughs> now, I, I've got people no, coming into my job that were like not even born when I started, which is oh, weird. No, yeah, you know, yeah. I wonder when they called Ricky Glover back for Dragon Quest Heroes if he's like, for what? You talking about Yangus? What the bloody hell's a Yangus? <laughs> Goes and looks on his shelf. Oh, yeah, right, that bloke. <laughs> Checks his IMDb. Oh yeah. <laughs> All I right, did do that. a video game. That's right. Cool blimey, I did do that. Cool blimey. <laughs> <laughs> he turns around, sees Dragon nah, on the shelf, I'm does fed up with that old line oh, blimey. <laughs> Uh, this is something I think about musicians all the time when like people go like apeshit crazy and are like rock- going crazy for these songs. And like, I'm, I'm just like, does that guy up on stage ever be like, I have played this fucking song for 35 years in front of life? Like, 
Mm-hmm. I'm over it. <laughs> oh, there's a there's an animator guy that I watch on YouTube and um every now and then. And there's a cartoon of his from like almost a decade ago. And he when he was talking with one of his buddies, he even made the comment. He's like, Oh my gosh, did I make fun of that game? I don't remember making that cartoon. <laughs> but everybody <laughs> thought everybody thought he had Alzheimer's because they're like, Oh, he forgot making it. He's like, no, I don't actually forget it. I just don't associate with it anymore. <laughs> yeah, because people usually don't obsessively like watch their own stuff. It's like the fans. Exactly. And so yeah. the fans remember. So they're coming from mm-hmm. a di- totally different perspective. Yeah. It's just so funny hearing him talk about it. He's like, yeah, everybody thought I had like dementia or something. <laughs> <laughs> like I forgot what happened like 10 years ago. <laughs> I had that same feeling about an hour ago when Blue said I typed in hey was for horses. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, it's I kind probably of could have done that last it's week. Kind of catchy, actually. So uh, it's a decent find. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, I think we uh, have uh, strayed far enough from the everything end. else that we are ready for the end. What were we so doing again? I, the I end. I, I don't know. It's been 21 years. The end of people and talking about things. We don't know what's going on here. <sighs> Well, we'll wrap this up because uh, that is the end for this episode of Slime Time Side Quest. Thank you, Blue Star. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Thank you, Pendy. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Pendy. You're welcome. Always glad to be on. Great yes, time. and if you uh, if you haven't already caught it, because it will have just dropped about a day or two days before this episode, if you've made it all the way to the end of listening to this, uh, go one episode back in your Slime Time feed and check out the uh, Pendy's new Slime Time Extended Universe. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, tactfully the slime die. Time family. To yeah. tactfully die. To t- <laughs> uh, um, no. Looking forward to hearing more of those. Uh, I, I, you know, here we are. It's been posted for just about ten hours, so I've made it halfway through. So, so far, so good. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll listen to the second while directing traffic tomorrow, and hopefully, it keeps a smile on my face. People are always like, "Oh, you look so happy in the morning." I'm always like, "Yeah, I've, I've got." podcast on the whole time i'm out there so that's when you say i've been dead on the inside for years exactly <laughs> uh, people people think i'm like smiling and waving at them all morning i'm like no i'm just laughing at what something pendy yeah. said or uh... <laughs> as they walk by you're like eh, kiss my ass <laughs> <laughs> well thank every thank you everybody for joining us to talk about your uh, favorite game endings yes thanks for joining us tonight guys um we will have to see if we have any crossover favorites when uh, Patty and I have a few more guests on uh, in the upcoming future for the next part. I believe um, we're going to be having Matt Craft. Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, Lender. I'm just going to say Lendar. There you go. It's, I think that's it. Lendar. Okay. Uh, Lendar mm-hmm. and um, our surprise guest that, uh, Pen- that Pendy told us about for the next episode. Uh, maybe you can uh, perhaps hear this other guest on a recently released tactfully die episode hint hint perhaps Mm. also and also jay yes we do have jay oh he's gonna be okay so he's gonna be on the next one i wasn't sure if he uh was able to be on that one either Uh, yeah there we go so we're gonna have some new guests that are coming up on the next episode so hey stay tuned out there or the end platy you have to put a little more effort into the outro than that (sighs) yeah yeah right right all right so uh here's your uh weekly no Monthly, bi-monthly, episodely. <laughs> Here's your episodely reminder that Patreon is the root of all evil and sin in the world. And also, 
Remember, Woodis is amazing. Go over to the Dragon's <laughs> Den. Buy your last-minute Mother's Day gifts through him as Amazon affiliate link. Oh, thank God I remember to cut out the sex toy comments from this. That would be play, play, awkward. Play, play, um, play. Go ahead. Click on Woodis's Amazon link. Buy those mother-appropriate gifts through there. Whatever else you got coming up. It's graduation time soon for all the kiddies out there. You probably know somebody. Somebody's probably got a niece, nephew, sister, brother, daughter, son. Get get them something. Use <laughs> Woodis's Amazon affiliate link. You know, get them something nice. You know, can't leave everybody out. You know, mom's got to get something, but you know, you can't you can't forget the rest of the family too. You know, mom's got to get something, all right. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> so that's what you talk about in the locker room special move around. <laughs> Way to pull that back. That that was a great callback to an hour ago. That that right there. That's quality. It ties Fly the whole time. episode together. Yep. That, I have, that I, I, on it. it came full circle. I have yes, some. <laughs> it's just like some of the Dragon Quest games we talk about. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, you know what? If you want to hear the part where I talk about future SideQuest episodes and the list and all that spiel, go back to the beginning of the episode, or Platy will copy-paste it here. Uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Editing's fun and all that. So, uh, you know, if you want to hear the whole spiel about adding stuff, go to the front, go to the beginning of the episode, or don't, you know, just go listen to the end of another one. You know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> would, would it be great if there were some like longtime listeners if that's the first time they ever heard that? Because the second they hear the outro, they're like, "Yeah, I'm done. I'm done listening." So, somebody yeah. was listening to that intro today and be like, "Wow, I've never heard him say that before." I never heard Yanga say that one before. I don't know if you have any fans out there that talk like that, but if you do, uh, all apologies. But anyway, I can't. I haven't looked at Yang our map of said uh, that at the beginning. <laughs> I haven't looked at our map of Deep South. Uh, yeah, it's our Gomer pile. It's our Gomer pile listener. <laughs> Gosh, I wonder the what they're up listening. to on this episode. <laughs> oh boy! All right, I just need to keep saying the end. <laughs> A side quest complete, or is it? See y'all in part two, everybody. Bye. Bye.